Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. For too long, I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. Too long, I've been starving to death and haven't died. I feel nothing. Not the wind on my face, nor the spray of the sea, nor the warmth of a woman's flesh. I mean, this started off as a joke, but now it's just starting to get a little autobiographical. But finally, finally, I have one more friend, one more friend that has finally played Mass Effect. Hello, and welcome back to the Red Team Reviews podcast as promised, as prophesied, all the way back last year in December, November for us, while I trekked to the horrid north that is New York, New York, New York, I said in our negotiations, I demand a Mass Effect and Dragon Age episode. And today we finally make good on that promise because today we're talking about our favorite game on the Citadel. We're talking about Mass Effect. Join, by, as always, by, uh, first of all, the voice you're currently listening to is the voice of TJ Patrick. And I am joined, as always, by the Peter B. Parker to my Miles Morales. Trevor Catalano. Way to throw in something that is yeah. like the only other thing on the internet right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're recording this at the end of June because I said, all right, if I'm playing this and I'm, I really like, I gunned it to finish. And like, you'll understand what my thoughts are on the game. And so it, like, I want to make it clear that like, this was not, uh, this was not torture for me because, you know, I, no. I don't get tortured on this podcast. That's your thing. Well, um, well, anyway, uh, at the time of this recording, Trevor does not fully know what all is included in September. So that should be fun. Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, but point being, uh, I was like, you know what? We need to we need to record this within a day and a half of me finishing the game, um, because truthfully, there's there's enough detail to where I will forget. Yeah. Things. And I think I already have um, like TJ. I have said, like, you should ask me like all the important decisions and then that'll jog my memory because otherwise I will be like, maybe I did that. I don't remember. Um, like you like if you TJ, if you ask, like, how'd your game go? I'd go. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I could tell you what ending I did. I could tell you who I fucked. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's about it. Um, I could tell you who my main companions are. I could talk to you about the characters. Could I remember a name of us like, like more than two planets? Absolutely not. Well, some of the planets are infinitely more important than others. So that's, that's fine. Sure. I mean, that's, that's any space based lore but even still like the two planets that i can remember the names of are the last two missions or like big missions for mass effect 3 can't remember shit that makes otherwise so you're gonna have to step us through and honestly you're gonna have to step our audience through because most people don't know this 
And let's be real, I think a good portion of our audience probably will still never play this. Well, so let's uh, not say most people haven't played it. M- pretty much all of our listeners, yes, no, they, 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 they have not played this most likely, and they, it's a question of if they've even, you know, really heard about it or really know what it is. So yes, um. Also, what was I going to say? I was, uh, I feel like I was going to say something. Oh, yeah. Uh, you had mentioned uh, who you fucked, and that was actually interesting because for a while there, you, you, you weren't. <laughs> I was I was actually a little surprised. About it. I'm like, oh, he didn't just jump into bed at the first. <laughs> like, Listen, un- this, is, this is truly my first, <laughs> like, First person, like this is, or third. I mean, it's third person actually. This is my first really like adult RPG dating sim, yeah. Like truly, where it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, I really was like, okay, I gotta figure out. Like, I I looked up maybe two to three guides along the way. One of which was just like. One was, how do I romance this specific person? What do I got to do? And what's going to fuck it up? Because I kind of like, I set my mind to it and I was like, all right, like without spoiling myself too much, like I I didn't click spoilers that like there was like a reveal spoiler button and I didn't click those, but I did just like kind of keep in mind. It was like, hey, here are the points that like you're going to hit along the game uh, and like you should side with that person when that happens. And I went, okay, um. So like just so to make sure that it could happen. And then towards the end, I was just literally looking up like, OK, what have I hit all the side quests? OK, I haven't hit like three of the side quests. That's fine. I'll deal with it um, just to make sure that like I wasn't going to. Like hit my like, because of the way that Mass Effect 2 yes. locks you into the ending. Yes. I had in Mass Effect 3, I was like, I'm making sure that I do all the side quests because I just want the fullest experience I can have. And no matter how many times I save, something's going to catch me off guard. So like there was that. And then I also looked up after I had selected an ending, I had looked up every ending. So I know every ending and I actually know a bunch of character stuff because after that, I also was like, okay, cool. What would have happened if I had done this with this character? Oh, that's what would have happened. Okay. So like I have some spread of the land beyond my choices as well, which is good. I mean, it's good for content. Like, quite literally, I'm just like, well, it's going to be kind of weird if I just talk about my Paragon run of Mass Effect. And you're like, huh, interesting. So if anybody else wants to play it, tell us what's different, because that doesn't make sense. So like, I mean, because not for a podcast, a whopping it was said by, I think, somebody that worked on uh, Mass Effect that they had the data where something like 92 percent of people typically do paragon i mean here's the thing i feel like if you're gonna look and i don't like i i know i'm comparing a uh rpg to an open world kind of a situation but like i don't think the game is necessarily set up to be a renegade in the real way like the way that the story progresses you're still trying to save the galaxy from an evil threat. So like to be a renegade, you're still kind of a paragon. Like in my early few moments of the game, when I was waffling between what I really liked and what I like, what spoke to me as a player, like the renegade options would be picked and then they'd still kind of be paragony. Like they'd still be upstanding and like 
the morals of the character at its core. It's just that he's an ass about it. And then on the flip side, sometimes in the early in the first game, at, at least his Paragon options are still an asshole. I'm like, you're still a fucking soldier. Yeah. Like, way too aggressive about your paragonness, and i'm like okay so what's the real choice here and then you get into two and three and you're like oh okay now i actually feel like my paragon options are reflecting the empathetic person that i am so you know that's that's where i was at with those things where would i how did i tangent this off oh yeah it's like 92 percent of people do paragon and i'm like i feel like the game is set up that way as opposed to like red dead redemption i'm like or grand theft auto it's like yeah no the temptation is just a be a fucking like asshole uh or to just fuck around um like westworld it's like yeah a lot of people do the crime in westworld because like you can be a good person in the real world um but i don't think this game is necessarily set up for renegade to be that appealing of an option yeah i definitely agree that that is that's a for people who don't understand what this means um normally (laughs) there's like a there's like a neutral choice like every once in a while while you're talking to characters or you're making choices as to like what decision to make or who to keep and who goes and who stays, you'll get an option that's like truly neutral. And then you'll get other options that are like, Hey, I'm going to be the upstanding person or I'm going to get what I want. And then as you like get choose those options, you get like a status bar. And then suddenly you'll get like a fourth and fifth option that if you have enough like charm or like, uh, like, uh, intimidation by choosing your path so far, you'll get like better outcomes by being either consistently a good person or consistently a shithead. Uh, so for anybody who doesn't know what that means in an RPG, a video game RPG, that's what that means. Paragon is good guy, renegade, bad guy. Context for the audience. All right. Yeah, so when it comes to kind of summarizing the plots of these, do you think it would be better if I did it or you did it? Um, I would love if you could potentially manage interjecting me. That's fine, yeah. Because, first of all, I played Mass Effect 1. I started it right after you left. Yep. And I went, I hate this. Yep. Um, <laughs> and then I didn't touch it for three months. Yep. Uh, and then in April, I just sat down and I had some time and I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to commit to this. I'm just going to knock this game out. And then that game is the shortest game by far. Yes, um, it's I, kind of a dookie little game. Um, it's kind of a little turd. Uh, and then, so then I immediately started Mass Effect 2 and then I had to do another pause because I was like, I spent all this time learning one way to play this game and then they completely <laughs> change it on me. Control wise and like in the first game, there's like an if you use your weapon too much, it overheats and you have to wait. In the second game, there's ammo. And I knew that ammo was going to feel better so long it was re- as long it was readily available. Also for RPG uh, newbies, like you can play like casual, like, hey, there's going to be maybe like five enemies per like portion of the level. And you'll you'll you won't die that often. And then there's like the normal game or like really hard. I played casual because like I it's for you were here for the story. Yeah, that's why TJ wanted me to, wanted me to play it. I'm not interested in slaving over a game and constantly dying. I want to get things done relatively easily and I don't want to have to worry too much about my my macros uh, of like stats or what weapons I'm using, et cetera, et cetera. To the point where I had started Mass Effect 1 and I was like, it feels cool to be like a biotic, which means you have like superpowers. And then I couldn't figure out how the fuck to use them. So I started over and I said, okay, fine, assault rifle. And we're sticking with that the whole time. We are sticking with the assault rifle because it's easy and I get it. And I maybe learned how to do like two other weapons. And I learned how to control other people's powers on my team. And that was it. 
That's all I did. Um, I did not want to have to aim a, like a force p- push. I didn't want to do it. Um, <laughs> so, so anyway, I had to relearn how to play the game in May. Uh, and then I finally committed to it in May. And then I went, okay, I understand the lore. And most of my team from the first one, especially the ones I actually gave a shit about, are present and I want to be continue playing. And more people came into the fold and more people were interesting um, in the overall team. And the story became interesting. And like something that I was kind of spoiled on was Cerberus's role in the whole thing. So I was like, I'm interested to see how it actually unfolds between the second one and the third one. Um, so like at that point I was locked in, um, you know, I think both games in terms of my final save were both around 26 hours. Um, and I did every side quest that I possibly could because I'm a completionist. Um, I, I, you know, I catch, I, I catch them all. So I did as much as I possibly could, unless I made a mistake, in which case maybe I'd say over the course of the entire three games, maybe 10 side quests went undone. Um, if they, if they were ever picked up in the first place, there could have been side quests that I wasn't even aware of that I could have accessed. I did my best. Um, so that's kind of like the broad view of like what my approach to this game. Um, so mass effect one is kind of dookie. Well, okay. Uh, because the so story this, is this, confusing. This kind of, this kind of, uh, some of your comments about <laughs> mass effect one made me go, Oh, you know what? Actually we need to do. I need to lay out my history first. Sure. Because it's going to be funny. (laughs) Okay. It's going to be like... You played two to start. It's going to be interesting. Well, no, I... Because it's me. Everyone who knows me by this point, like, knows... Well, yeah, TJ's not just going to straight up skip to the second one. He's going to start with the first one. Um, But like you, I tried and I put it down. And then a couple weeks or maybe a month or two would go by and I would pick it back up and I tried and I put it back down. (laughs) And that's what like I did that a couple times. And then eventually I just kept seeing a lot of stuff about Mass Effect because about around this time was when Mass Effect 3 was relevant around 2012. So I was in college. God, these are that old, dude. Yeah, the first Mass Effect. I could have sworn, I could have sworn this came out like ended in like 2016. No, uh, the first Mass Effect came out in 2007. It is an that explains why it's such dookie. It, it is an ass old game by this point. Um, and pro and uh, like honestly makes sense. It's picking up a lot of that like Transformers energy of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) um, I like to think that, like, Bioware, the studio that uh, developed uh, Mass Effect uh, and Dragon Age, uh, they're two, like, big, obvious, like, these are Bioware franchises, are Mass Effect and Dragon Age. And Mass Effect started in 2007. Dragon Age started out in 2009. So if you want to, like, if these are the things that represent mostly what Bioware is all about, you know, considering what they've, what their original stuff, because they've also done Star Wars, but they didn't create Star Wars. Uh, Mass Effect 1. No shit, really? Yeah, no. Imagine, though. Can you imagine? Um, (laughs) No. Well, considering they made their own space RPG, I'm like. Yeah, actually, I can very much imagine if they created Star Wars because it'd be this. <laughs> it would be significantly better. <laughs> Give biotics laser swords. Give biotics laser swords. 
just I'm very I would have so played with a laser sword if that was available in this game. <laughs> I I bet they were so tempted, but they were just like, no, you know George yeah, is gonna lawyer up. You know he's gonna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and meanwhile, like uh, one one little henchman and one main villain get katanas. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, Mass Effect. Considering the two franchises that basically are like the face of Bioware, Mass Effect One is the oldest of those. Um, so it is clunky and it's dated and it's it does a lot of things without telling you. It does not communicate specific I tried things. to read the descriptions. I tried to read the descriptions. I tried to use my codex. And then about a quarter into the second one, I went, I'm not using this anymore. I mean, I can't really blame you. Uh, li- codex is like the library where like, if you meet a new species, right. it'll be like, this species was born on this planet and they proceeded to colonize the Alpha Centauri sector. And and I'm like, okay, all right. I love that you fleshed this out. If it was reflected in the game, I'd love to see it, please. And then it was by the second one. Yeah. Um, so after a couple of times of trying to bang my head against Mass Effect 1, that is when I eventually just skipped over to Mass Effect 2, purely because, like, again, this was, like, 2012, around that time, Mass Effect 3 had just come out, everyone was talking about it, and I kept seeing cool things about it, and I was like, I wanna, I want to, so maybe just Mass Effect 1 is too clunky for me, or I'll come back to it. I got to play Mass Effect 2, that's when things clicked for me. Because Mass Effect 2 is a lot more streamlined. It's a lot better looking. It Things are just done with a bit more polish. Like... Yep. And it does... The uh, side missions are not the same formula yeah. for every single one. Yeah. Every single one was the same shit. And I was like, why am I doing this? Ex- Experience? Bro, yeah. Like, it was literally because I was following the story and I got to a point where I couldn't do a Paragon or Renegade option to like make the story better. And you went, oh yeah, no, you gotta have your experience up. And I'm like, these side missions suck. I have to do all that to get there? And like, they fixed that in two. Where I'm like, oh, the side missions are not repetitive. They're actually like kind of add to the overall story and give you nice things. Instead of just land the truck, shoot things with the truck, get out of the truck, (laughs) go into the cave, shoot one of three stock villains that we put in the cave. That is what Mass Effect 1 is. Because I know this is inevitably going to come up when you start talking about Mass Effect 1. The truck is the Mako. That is... I, I don't care what its name is. I will I will misgender and and dead name this truck. <laughs> okay, sorry. I should cut that. You should cut that. <laughs> Not during Pride, Trevor. What would plant-based bird girl think? I have think? no respect for this truck. Um, I have no respect for this truck, uh, this tank. Uh, they made you use it so much, and it was impossible to drive and impossible to really shoot. Its shields were stupid. Uh, it was also featured in the main levels too. It sucked. Uh, getting back, getting back from Exigeny on Pharos oh, was a nightmare. Uh, and then, like up until like the final level, when you're on that like tropical planet and you're literally just driving in a zigzag, just driving in a zigzag. Um, meanwhile, like there was at least one level in the. Uh, 
in like the the updated one, which is like a hovercraft that like in the second one where I'm like, oh, this is better. I think it's during the overlord level um, where you're driving the hammerhead, which is the alternative. And I'm like, this is much better because the, there's puzzles and like platforming and like, thank you. This is much better. Uh, I hate it. I hated the Mako. I hated it so much. Trevor, it's just so funny for after all the times I've referenced Mass Effect and you go, nobody cares. Nobody knows, nobody knows what you're talking about, you silly fool. And now it's like, to hear you speak is like, you sound like a Mass Effect fan. That's just what you sound like. <laughs> like, genuinely, so many Mass Effect fans are just like the fucking Mako. It is like a gigantic running joke of like, <sighs> fucking fucking mako is like a war crime unto gamers <laughs> but uh yeah to get somewhat back on track that is a, essentially my history i played through mass effect 2 i eventually went back and just hit my head against mass effect 1 until i figured it out once i figured out mass effect 1 everything was much easier i just had to crack that code same thing with dragon age but we'll get there when we get there another time uh and then mass effect 3 we'll also get there when we get there so yes thanks mr incredible let's <laughs> Which is so funny because I, we haven't had the chance to, like, cover... Like, there's no point in us ever covering Incredibles in, like, an actual episode. But Mr. Incredible and Lucius... Like, Rob, Bob and Lucius are is, like, one of the most fitting <laughs> introductions for us to, to be, like, the Mr. Incredible to my Frozone. Is just it's a slam dunk. I don't I don't actually like being Bob Parr. I don't like him. He's he's the whole thing is too Ayn Randian for me. No, thank you. Um, I actually really don't identify with any character in The Incredibles, but that's a different episode. Um, How do you not identify so with yeah, the girl? Oh, sure. OK, let's move on. We're moving as long on. as we're clear. Um, OK. So, so here's the here's the the overarching plot of these three games. Mm. In the so uh, the, the main character is Commander Shepard of the uh, Earth Alliance military. Uh, the humans are kind of the new kids on the block. It was very recently that they started colonizing other planets, and you know, uh, like they went to war when they went with first contact with one of the other races. Um, are we going to call them races, species? What are we going to call them? Species. Species. Let's call them species. Uh, they went to war with another species when they made first contact and that kind of gave them a bad name, but like, and people don't, th they're not like worthy of being on any of like the high galactic councils or anything like that. They're a new kid on the block, but they're like interested in protecting their own interests and, and they have, you know, space Marines and you get to kind of pick your backstory as to like where you're coming from. And it, it chooses like slightly to your bent, but TJ answer this for me. How much does it actually matter what you pick? from the jump or does it just give people something to say to you when they meet you for the first time apparently like yes there are very subtle dialogue differences in the very beginning of mass effect to sort of like hammer home like yes this is you you're you're specific to what you chose and apparently in mass effect one you get like one side quest specific to each of the 
like if you're a spacer, you meet somebody that, you know, is kind of like an old family friend on the Citadel. If Oh, yeah, no, that girl died for me. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, So like there's like in the first game, they kind of do that. But as they go on, it kind of gets just left in the dust. Once you have the reputation of completing the first game and what happened at the end of the first game, nothing else matters. Yeah. Um, so Commander Shepard, uh, is this new guy coming up, uh, you know, he is like second in command, correct me if I'm wrong, second in command of, a, of the Normandy, uh, to Captain Anderson, yes. played by Keith David. Uh, you know, never let me forget it. Uh, <laughs> and honestly, I'm not sure I really like Captain Anderson that much. <gasps> I, I, people make a big deal. Out, you made a, you make a big deal out of him, but I'm not, it's just like, it, like, I love Keith David, but like, he doesn't actually matter all that much to the story besides like kind of being Shepard's dad he's our in space a way. Dad. He's not really his dad. Uh, sure, okay. <laughs> um, so, so basically, like, uh, Shepard's sent with, like, a team to go figure out what the fuck this uh, this really weird spaceship is that's landed down at, a, at, at an Earth colony and is, like, harvesting people and turning them into, essentially, like, the, the game's equivalent of, like, technological zombies. And we find out that there's an AI group that people haven't seen um, in this part of the galaxy called the Geth, who uh, are essentially sacrificing and harvesting humans um, in, in in their big old spaceship. And when uh, Shepard shows up there, uh, Shepard accidentally touches what is called a Prothean beacon. The Protheans are like a super advanced race that's already extinct, and we just like use all their shit. Well, he touches that beacon, and then there's a really shittily put together like inside his brain sequence where he's seeing visions of the future. This will not become relevant until much, much later. Um, Truly, truly, his whole visions thing, I'm actually so glad that they dropped it being a main plot point until the end of Mass Effect 3. I was really happy about that because it's stupid. And it also just looks like they took a bunch of images and like, uh, like, uh, what's the, what's the keyframed them to make them look shaky? Um, it's not even an animated cutscene. It's just a bunch of keyframed pictures, uh, with blur and like red coloring, um, <laughs> to make it look like it's like, everyone's gonna die. Oh my God. Bah! That's what it looks like. Um, so you get this, you get these things and like, people are like, are you okay? You must be a real deal if you survive that. I really like you. Um, and so like the human ambassadors, uh, take him to this place called the Citadel, um, which is a big, like there's a, there's a ring in the center, kind of like that movie Elysium with Matt Damon. Um, and then there's like these like arms that come out of it in like a bunch of different directions. So it kind of looks like a, a little hand on its side. It looks like a, or what's a, there's gotta be like a, it looks like it's like if tongs had like four fingers um or five fingers you know if that makes sense around like yeah, a ring it kind of it kind of um, looks like you uh put four tongs on a ring yeah yeah there you go um he sees um a turian um who's one of the species uh who is a like high ranking like military and spy uh like operative for the intergalactic government uh of the high council uh, and he's like, apparently on the bad guy side. And so the humans are like, this guy fucked us over. And we like, Captain Anderson has a history with him and he's an asshole and you should believe us. And they're like, we don't believe you. Sorry. But you like, you, you assemble a team and a full of companions, which is what you do in an RPG. Uh, and then you take those companions along the way. And essentially step-by-step step, you're following in Saren's foot footsteps and proving that he's, uh, evil. Uh, the council promotes you to be the first ever human specter, which is that high ranking 
king. So you get access to shit and people let you be on your own and you're captain of the Normandy. It's all those things. You're meeting people that like he's mind controlling. So they have to they have to listen to him and they want to get their hands on this like spider species because they also have mind control capabilities. Um, And that's like a choice about whether or not you set them free or you don't um, at a later point. So like, you know, that's a whole choice. But like, quite frankly, I don't remember half of these missions because I really didn't like this game. At the very end of the game, you find out that Saren's more or less just a puppet because the spaceship that he was on is not a spaceship. It's actually its own artificial intelligence robot being called a Reaper. And the Citadel, the place where all these officials live in space and do the government, is actually a mass relay. We haven't even talked about mass relays, TJ. This sucks because this is going to take a a bit to explain. Uh, The way that everyone gets around the galaxy is these things called mass relays. That's where the mass effect comes from, where essentially they're giant laser portals where if you want to hop from galaxy to galaxy, you fly in proximity to them and then it slingshots you into the next galaxy. And no one knows where they came from, except that they work and we're going to use them. Hint, hint. They think the Protheans made them. They're actually even older than the Protheans. That's what we find out in the game. Ha ha. Cool. What am I missing? Um, If we want to just cover the stories and then come back for the squad mates, then nothing. Sure. Great. Um, so Mass Effect. So at the end of that game, you have to like sacrifice one of your one of your a couple, you know, one or two of your squad mates to finish the final mission, depending on how good you did. <laughs> um, TJ already knows who who I lost uh, when I, you know, any moment. I just never love that you, shit about you it. had to slide in there one or two. Yeah, you, you could lose two. <laughs> some people. Two were possible. Two. I mean, you are you are uh, hint hint. You are hint hinted that one of your two romances is a space racist. Um, we will but, cover you know, that. We'll get into that. <laughs> so anyway you have uh at the end of the game a couple people get sacrificed you kill Saren, uh and then the reapers the reaper essentially heads towards the citadel and uh apparently they were the ones who made the citadel and it's uh it is actually just a giant portal for all of his uh you know his brethren from a far off part of the galaxy to come back and their whole deal is that they come and they reap the galaxy every 5,000 years uh, so that they can get rid of all the intelligent life and everybody has to start over. Why do they do that? It's not really that clear. Doesn't really get explained until the final sequence of the final game. And that's the last time that I thought it made sense. Um, And even then, it's kind of just a, you know, big foreboding thready kind of guy, but he's really fucking nasty. Um, so you have to essentially stop him from making like a giant laser beacon to send his, all of his friends over there. So you do, you succeed with that. Um, you have to choose whether or not like the humans are going to be the top dogs now, or you're going to let the council live. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know what that choice was cause I, I chose the humans. Sorry. Um, and so, yeah, you you kill one Reaper, uh, but at the end of the game, uh, the cliffhanger is that, oh, they're just going to come normally. They're just going to approach the galaxy normally because they can do that. They don't have to come through this like laser beacon. Um, Mass Effect 2, uh, it starts off, you're Captain of Normandy, your whole crew's there, and then uh, I forget who what actually attacks them. The Collectors. Oh, yeah. So there's this other villain that we assume is like, the next major villain. They come and they attack your ship, the Normandy. The Normandy is very important. Let me just say that. The Normandy is something that people are like jizzing over all the time um, because it's like a really great ship. Yes. Uh, and so you get everyone to the escape pods, but you don't get an escape pod. You die. Um, <laughs> but you don't really die. You fall to the planet next to you. 
And then this, these dudes who you kind of heard about in your side missions where they were trying to research mind control technology, uh, in the previous game, uh, that group then, uh, revives you. You wake up in their facility and you meet a bunch of their employees. And those employees become, uh, potential new crewmates because your crew is literally double the size in Mass Effect 2. And why they made it half the size again in Mass Effect 3? I don't know. I'd love to hear why because I think it's stupid. We will stupid. cover that. I think it's stupid. Um, so basically Cerberus is this name is the organization, uh, and you start having to do missions on behalf of the elusive man who is played by Martin Sheen. Um, and also I think Miranda is the girl from, uh, Handmaid's Tale. Not, not, uh, not the ma- the lead, but the wife, uh, that she has to serve. I think is, I have is never seen, is. so I can't um, say. I think it's Serena Joy from from Serena Joy is the character name from Handmaid's Tale. I think that's the case. Uh, Serena Joy plays somebody. Uh, Miranda is played uh, by Yvonne Stravosky. Uh, then she's someone else. Maybe she's uh, maybe she's Edie. I don't know. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, you meet you meet some pe- some people. Uh, you meet another very clearly like, hey, if you wanted to fuck a human, here's the one you're gonna fuck. Uh, uh, character. She's got a great story. No, don't don't get me wrong, but her character design is very much that. Um, and then your first black guy, uh, companion, uh, you meet them and then they become kind of your team for a little bit until you start like finding out what happened. Cause two years has passed. Um, and they were wearing glasses to show that time had passed. Uh, and, and in theory, yes, a lot of the character designs do change to show that time has passed and you get like some of your crew back. You meet, you know where some of the other ones are, but you only get some of them as options again. And then you start building up a really, really, really big crew. Uh, cause the elusive man essentially says, Hey, those collector dudes who attacked you, we think that they're working with the Reapers, the people you know everything about. You're like one of the only people that anybody knows about because then, uh, nobody believed you on the council. Everybody thinks you're lying. Uh, after these two years, everybody thought thinks it's just a myth. So you got to prove them wrong by going after the collectors. We got to hit them where it hurts because they're going around the, the galaxy. And once again, harvesting human colonies, they have a pattern. Um, and they're collectors. Congratulations. So you get a bunch of your team members back together. And that is like a good chunk of the game is going and finding these people. You go on a few side missions, um, to beef it, to beef up, uh, you know, your stats and your team. Um, and you go really deep into the lore of like various different species by getting like pretty much every species for the first time in the first game. You only had like three non-human species available to you. And then in this one, you pretty much have all of them except for like maybe two, uh, like major, major, major species. Um, and by doing that, you're going into like the politics between different species and what they've done to each other over the years. And we'll get into that when we talk about the characters. But like, for example, the Turians and the Solar, like hired the Solarians. So like the, the, how would you describe a Turian? It's like, it's, they're not lizardy, but they are. I've heard avi- avian, so like bird-like. Yeah, they're a little bit birdy, but they don't have feathers, but they have kind of like that. Like dinosaur-like. Like, like it, yeah, they're, yes, dinosaur-like. That's a great way to describe Raptors. them. But they're, they're humanoid. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they're, they stand up on their own. Um, and they don't really have sh- like snouts. They're, they're flat-faced. Um, and then the Solarians, which are like stereotypical aliens, like big-eyed, uh, you know, E equals MC squared nerds, um, aliens. They hired them to essentially like castrate the, the brutes called the Krogans and you go into the, that whole thing because you have a Solarian on your team and you have a Krogan on your team and you go through the politics of everything involved with those two species. Um, and then, you know, you have the uh, Asari who are uh, the female coded species and then uh, the Turian are the male 
Turian and Krogan are the male coded species. Uh, the, the Asari are blue ladies with tentacle heads, but for the more or less, they're humans. Um, and they can uh, essentially like psychically link up and they're very good at being diplomats and empaths. Again, the female coded species. Um, well, they are monogender. The yes, they are. Um, but they're also incredibly coded in like gender norms. You get my yep. point. And then Quarians, um, I said Geth are the AI. They're like essentially robots with a singular big flashlight eye. That's really all you need to know about them. Uh, Quarians are uh, like a bio- like a, a biotic species, like a, a, a biological species, but they were kicked off their homeworld by the Geth. And so uh, they had to spend their lives in these like this flotilla of ships. And then because they were getting they had no immune systems when they went back on planets, they essentially have to live their lives in a hazmat suit. Um, and they're like they're form fitting. And like so essentially what you see is you see like the the outline of eyes underneath like a screen. Uh, for their faces and like I actually I think the Quarians are very cool um, yeah so like those are some of the species involved you have all these people on your on your team um, you even get a geth at the end of it which I think is really cool um, to have that option for you but like the Quarians created the geth and then the geth turned on them like AI does in most narratives so you have a Quarian geth conflict um, and then you have all your romance options on top of that. So like most of Mass Effect 2 is dealing with the politics of the galaxy while also pursuing the collectors and getting a team that is all the people necessary to pull off the mission, um, which I mean, all things considered, you could argue that there are a few too many people and you could have pulled it off with fewer. And I just, you know, I got everybody because it's an RPG. You can choose not to get everybody if you don't want to. Um, I think I think you can do that. Um but essentially, once you have the team all put together and you have their loyalty because you have to go on loyalty missions for um, as many of the team members as you possibly can before moving on with the story, because if people are not loyal to you, once you finally jump through and have all the technology to jump through a mass relay to go where the collectors are from, people can die because they're making choices against your orders. Um, and then that's how, you know, you can lose people and then they're not in the rest of the game and they have to be like, replaced by just random other people of their their species so you jump through with your whole crew uh and you've tricked out your ride of the normandy um and your pilot's name is joker and is played by seth green um and you fly through and then you finally have this final mission and you basically figure out that the collectors are similar to how they're harvesting humans and turning them into zombies the reapers also did that to the protheans remember that whole beacon thing that i said wasn't relevant they did that to the Protheans, and that's who the Collectors are. They're like bastardized, mutated forms of the Protheans, and that becomes a big thing in Mass Effect 3 because you start seeing the mutated version of every single species as minions of the Reapers uh, in these stories. So you find out that the Reapers are constructing yet another Reaper, but for some reason it looks like a human. Interesting. Why are we harvesting all these humans? We're turning them into sludge to feed to the new Reaper, and the Reaper, new Reaper is going to look like a human. I don't fully understand why that is. I guess they like form them, form themselves out of. Yeah, Uh, they form themselves into the dominant species at the time. Each cycle that they come back to reap the galaxy, I guess, I guess. Anyway, you kill them Um, and you get rid of that Reaper mostly. Um, And the elusive man basically wants you, uh, you know, you haven't trusted him this entire time, regardless of whether or not you chose Paragon or Renegade. You know, Cerberus is bad. Cerberus is bad news. You hopefully have the loyalty of the Cerberus staff there to where you don't have to worry about them too much. 
And Cerberus doesn't have the greatest reputation across the galaxy because they're a non-government entity. They're a renegade ent- entity. Um, and so he wants you to preserve the Reaper uh, so that they can use it and use the technology to further humans' goals. The elusive man and Cerberus' goals are essentially like, I don't think I would call them Nazis because they're not like necessarily like fascistic in that way, but they are very much like white supremacists. They're terrorists. Um, they are humans. Yes, they're human supremacist terrorists. Um, and so he wants you to save it so that he can, he can essentially so that, oh, we can progress the causes of humanity so that we can be the dominant species. And also I can be the dominant person over the dominant species. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Um, and so you choose whether or not you do that. To give you a sense of what my choice was, I, 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 I destroyed it. I never trusted the guy from the beginning because that was kind of spoiled for me. So uh, I said, fuck you. Uh, I'm destroying the whole thing. And now we're enemies now. And I'll take my ship. Thanks. Uh, and that's how that one ends. Um, and if you correctly romance someone, you get to fuck them right before the, the final mission. Um, that's I guess that's true of every game. I just didn't pull it off in the first one. Yeah. Uh, second game starts really fucking bleak. I thought the color great like the, the color scaling of the uh entire beginning of the game was just like this feels gross i don't like it and then by the middle of the game it got better um but essentially you're back on earth earth looks like dull as fuck i don't know why it's earth um and you're essentially you've been grounded all your team has gone their separate ways because you were technically working for cerberus and not the government well we might we might double back to that there's a dlc got it um, well, and essentially what happens is, hey, you know how the Reapers were like on their way at the end of the first game? They're here and they attack Earth and then a couple other systems simultaneously and they just keep fucking hammering it on you. Anderson has to stay on Earth uh, to lead the resistance and you talk to him via uh, FaceTime for most of the game. Um, and then you're mostly answering as like your your elusive man stand in is General Hackett. Uh, who is the human leader and he, you know, they have to convince that the the council back on, which has been reformed uh, on uh, the Citadel to join and all the other species are like, well, we're going to get attacked too. Why should we help you? We got to worry about our own. And you basically spend the entire game regaining the trust of all the species in the galaxy and solving their problems. Like not just doing what you did in Mass Effect 2, like solving their problems with each other. Essentially, you have the Turian-Krogan conflict with the Solarians in the background for a fourth of the game. You have the Quarian and Geth conflict for another fourth of the game. You have the beginning of the game with just the humans. And then you have the end of the game, which is like, hey, we got to take down Cerberus because Cerberus keeps popping up along the way. Like it's a toss up as to whether or not you're going to face Reaper forces or uh, or you're going to face um, Cerberus forces in any given mission in the game. Um, Because they are the two main adversaries the entire time. You basically find out that Cerberus followed through on their mind control stuff and are essentially trying to crack the code as to how the Reapers indoctrinate people, um, which starts off for some people as like just changing their brain and making them obey and for others, turning them into actual monsters. And so Cerberus wants to crack this uh, so that they can, you know, harness that technology and also kind of enslave people. Um, You learn that like most of their soldiers are kind of husks which are husks are the name of the human reaper forces um who just look like zombies um you realize that half of those guys are basically like halfway to being husks and being mind controlled for the most part they're not really explicit about it but when you take off the helmet the eyes look the same and they kind of say that they look the same 
it's basically that. Um, so eventually you do have to take down Cerberus, who's trying to mount a coup and take co- control of the human forces so that they can change the course of the war with the Reapers to, t- to steal all their technology. He basically comes to a head on Earth after you destroy the Cerberus base and the elusive man gets himself in the right place. You plow your way through Earth. You almost kill everyone on your team. And then finally, you're beamed up to the Citadel because guess what? The Citadel not only is a portal, but it's also a piece of another weapon that's part of the whole cycle of the Reapers Reap and everything. You basically don't stop them. The only thing that happens at the end is you get to meet like the AI in charge of the Reapers and then you get to choose. Hey, we can destroy everything like we respect mad respect. You kind of got farther than everyone else ever had but we're kind of still in control. So we're going to give you a choice. You're going to destroy all synthetic beings, so AI-based beings, which would really suck for your friend Joker because he uh, has fallen in love with the ship's uh, computer, which now has a body. Um, So now he has a synthetic girlfriend, so it sucks for him. Um, Not to mention you like made friends with the Geth. You turn the Geth to the good side at some point in the game. Um... You get to choose to destroy all of them, but the, the, the life can, can carry on. You kind of get what you want. You just have to like deal with the fact that you don't have robots anymore. And a lot of your technology is going to de- get destroyed. And uh, how much of your technology gets destroyed depends on how much you swayed the entire galaxy on your side. If you don't have strong enough forces, more damage is going to happen to you. Uh, the other option, if you don't have like enough points, is to... Uh, essentially be synergized you yourself as commander Shepard, can upload yourself to the reapers and become their master and tell them to go home and then you'll never see your family again congratulations that's your option uh if you have enough points which is what i ended up having because i'm a completionist you can choose synthesize uh which is you can make it so that every ai has a full kind of understanding of synthetic knowledge and and under and being and like empathy and you can make it so that all biotic life like all bio biological life kind of has some ai upgrades like you kind of make everybody one and everyone's kind of like it's kind of like socialist but creepy um because but again you also have to sacrifice yourself to make that happen and essentially the big weapon you were constructing the entire game to defeat the reapers is essentially the catalyst the catalyst is actually the name of the thing um, the name of the thing is the crucible and the catalyst is the citadel. It's a whole thing. Um, and essentially if you, depending on which option you choose, if you choose the destroy option, a big red bubble like Thanos snap goes across the galaxy and all the robots die. Uh, and then if it's, uh, you choose to, uh, you know, uh, control a big blue thing spreads across the galaxy and all the robots suddenly go, ah, no, I'm a good guy now. And I, they leave. And then the third one synthesizes a big green thing and it makes everybody's eyes like a little bit green and everybody gets like under the skin wiring tattoos and it's creepy, but it's supposed to, I guess, be the best one anyway. I imagine TJ has some thoughts about these uh, these things, but that is the that is the large non character to character plot of Mass Effect. And we are like an like 40 minutes into this episode. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was fully prepared. Like uh, this, three is a, games. this is a, three games, easily like minimum like twelve to fifteen hours. The other, the last two, like you said, are like about twenty five ish hours each. Or 
you know, they're long games. It's an involved story. There's a lot of elements. We haven't touched on any of the companions yet, which are basically the entire spine, the entire backbone of the entire franchise. Yeah, it's the only reason I did anything. Yeah, which, I mean, so where to start? I think we should, now that we've done the legwork, the grunt work of, like, going through the story of each individual game, let's just, like, chat about each of the three. So, Mass Effect 1. Sure. You don't like it. Dookie. Uh, it was a pain to get through. The interface of the game is actually kind of annoying. Yep. Um, like, the it's, it's, you know, it's an old game, so, like, even playing it on a PlayStation 3, which you left with me, which I know that, like, the PS4 had come out by the time the, the last game came out. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, if you're talking no, about... No, that's not true. If you're talking about the Legendary Edition... Uh, yeah. The remake. Oh, so those are remastered. Okay. Yeah. The remaster. Um, yes, got my, it. My bad. So yeah, I, you know, even playing on this on the PlayStation 3, I was like, oh man, this is like, this is glitchy. And like, again, the whole Mako thing where like most of the side missions are that same formula I mentioned. And not only that, but like the terrain that they render for you to go on to find the thing you're supposed to find is also shitty. Um, yeah, like there's a guy, uh, Racevic on YouTube who has done a brilliant series on Mass Effect of like Mass Effect X years later, looking back on each installment, including Andromeda, which was the kind of spinoff slash slight sequel, um, that did not do nearly as well as the original trilogy, but has its very staunch defenders. Um, like Razovic has a really great line when he describes the side quest and the exploration of just like, it feels like the developers were making this terrain and they just slammed their head on the keyboard and rolled it around. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to use like jet propellers to like get your traction onto the hill. You need to go over and, like, even then, sometimes you'll, like, get to the end of a pathway and it's like, oh, there's still, like, a hill I gotta go over to get to the, like, in the lip, in, like, the valley of this pathway to get to the next. I hate it. Um, and the, the gunning of that is so, and that's such a huge chunk of the game. There are entire missions that rely on this vehicle. And I'm very glad that they listened to whatever feedback they certainly got on the second one and said, you don't have to do any more vehicle stuff anymore. Um, and the only reason I did one was because it's part of like the legendary edition where they add the DLC stuff. Um, so I just kind of did yeah, Overl- it. And I was Overl- glad I did it. Operation uh, Overlord was fun. Yeah, Overlord is D- DLC. Yeah. Um, and so like, yeah, the entire first game. And then like when you actually break it down, the first game is maybe seven missions. Yeah. Without those. And like, and also you get, you get no clues when you're trying to navigate the galaxy as to like how to do it. Um, and so like you're zooming in and out on this map, um, which that music is this consistent with all three games. And so I would like, if I played the game too much, it would be in my sleep. I would hear that fucking music. Um, <laughs> and, and it's like, you have to go to like star systems and then pick a solar system to then find a planet and there are a bunch of planets that like have full backstories oh. and there's like a lot of gas giants and stuff. And you can also like find stuff for side missions. I didn't complete a single one of those like scan thing side missions in Mass Effect 1 because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing and no one's helping me understand it in game. Yeah, no. So I just said, fuck it. 
if I'm just going to get through this and take your advice that the second one's better, I'll do it. And then the second one, it's replaced by a you can hop when you're navigating the galaxy. You have to find the mass relay in the system to get to the other one, which to me, I'm just like, that makes more sense instead of just, oh, I'm I'm because like I didn't know what a mass relay was really until the second game when I realized it's like, oh, it's 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 massive intergalactic travel. Okay. Yeah. Because they just talk about it and they do cutscenes and loading screens with it in the other one. And like, I kind of got it. But like, to actually make use of them made it like, oh, now they're real. Now they're real What's in the my brain. thing from Thor? The Bifrost. They're the Bifrost. Yes. Yeah. There's basically a technological Bifrost in every thing it's light yeah, speed that yeah. that makes that makes total sense and then on top of that when you go to the planets you have to play it you get to play a mini game there's a lot of mini games when it comes to hacking and i preferred the first two games to the third one um in terms of like the hacking stuff because there just really wasn't a presence of that in the third yeah um like you kind of don't have any of that uh but like i liked the hacking uh, in the second one, the first one, you had to like have someone on your team with a high enough skill level to do it. So like if I didn't bring Tali with, I was just kind of fucked and I didn't get half the stuff in the missions. And I was kind of like, well, this is stupid um, just because I'm a soldier. I don't I, I can't do this. So when they made it into mini games in the second one, I was like, thank you. I much prefer this. Um, but where was I going with this? You in the in the planet discovery, you you played a mini game to scan the planet for like minerals, which you used to get upgrades for your ship and your team. And I was like, I have incentive now to explore the galaxy. And occasionally you find a side mission. And I'm like, thank you for giving me incentive to do any of that, because like some of it's necessary for survival. You needed I needed to have the cannons and the shields in order to. And I looked at this after the fact. I was like, what would have happened it, what like what could have happened at the end of this game and like half your team won't survive if you don't have all those shields and i was like well thank god i got the shields and the guns yeah. because otherwise it doesn't work and so like it's a major part of the game where like your your choice to skip all that affects the outcome of the game and i was like i appreciate that so like yeah the first game i was just powering through it was a dangerous tempt all of mass effect 2 was a dangerous temptation for me to just be like, I, I desperately want to tell him that he needs to do certain things. No, no, because I'm a completionist. I, I got shit done. Yeah. Um, okay. I got shit done. Uh, but we'll need to talk about like how like some of the DLC stuff just never popped up for me. Like there's an entire character that I didn't get access to, but another DLC character I absolutely did. I don't understand. Um, so I'm imagining that you ran straight into Zaid on Omega. Maybe because uh, he's like right at the entrance, right? When you first get to Omega, uh, oh, he's like, I just never right the fuck there. Uh, I just never Kasumi noticed. Kasumi is like an email that you get in your inbox. Yeah, I think that's why I picked up you, on it because I was using that to figure out where to go. Well, you know what? I'm way more happy that you got Kasumi than Zaid. Cool. <laughs> I mean, literally any of the any of the human males I don't care about um fair and i'm sorry yeah like like kaden don't give a shit about fair uh jacob don't give a shit about had a terrible loyalty mission fuck jacob terrible loyalty mission he is the uh like archetype what was it that like we were watching akila and the bee for yep. black history month and we both went oh well let's not watch this anymore because it was like once one son in that family is a gangbanger and one son's the military boy and the sister has a baby and i'm like and lawrence bishburn said speak correctly and it's like this is terribly stereotypical 
So fuck Jacob. Who gives a shit about Jacob? He has a terrible mission where he goes to a planet where his dad used the degenerative uh, brain damage part part of the food on the planet to enslave everyone on the planet, especially the women. So he basically had a harem and Jacob goes, that's not my dad. Ah, shit, that is my dad. That's my absentee dad right there. Uh, And then uh, in my version, the dad kills himself. Uh, And I'm like, this is the stupidest loyalty mission. I hated this. So as much as I absolutely love shitting on Jacob and I will, he's one of the only two black male characters. Let's like, let's like get through one and then go to two. Okay. Well, I mean, what else is there to say about one? There's only like seven missions. Only one of them is. We haven't talked about really any of the companions yet. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, Like the only the only mission I remember is the only two missions, three missions I remember are the first one, Novaria and the end. I don't remember any of the other missions. Pharos uh, is very forgettable. Oh, Pharos. Su- yeah, I do remember Pharos. Um, oh, I'm surprised you didn't remember Vermeer. <laughs> isn't Vermeer the end? Vermeer's kind of like the like right Empire the Strikes end. Back. Right. Like right before the end. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're driving on the tropical planet. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. Um, and I remember okay. what happens. Uh, so, okay, let's talk about the companions. Uh, you meet Ashley Williams, who is uh, another, is Lady Marine, um, who, like, I, I, after doing research on her, I realized that there's, like, is character growth if you give a shit about her. But she immediately turned me off by being like, hey, I don't like all these aliens being on here. And I'm like, oh, you're a space racist? I'm done with you for okay. the rest of the series. Okay. <laughs> we have to talk about this. Sure. Ashley and Miranda, who we will get to in two, are two of the most overhated characters in the entire franchise. I mean, I'm mostly they, joking here. I didn't have to use her, so I was like, all right, fine, whatever. You, no, go, yeah. you go over there and be better about working with aliens. I mean, it doesn't help that like she's the soldier class, and soldier class really has no upside in terms of NPCs. Like... In terms of like squad mates, why would you ever bring a soldier? Right. A soldier has like nothing to actually offer you. Because I'm pretty much playing soldier. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't help. But if you, be, what pisses me off, and I'm not really speaking about you, I'm speaking about the fandom as a whole. What pisses me off, to be fair, most people, if they're not, if they don't hate Ashley, they're aggressively indifferent to Caden. And it's almost like I've it's so rare Fun to fact, see people that that's like true both of both of, of me. <laughs> I didn't yeah. think Caden mattered at all. I forgot he was there <laughs> until he had to die. <laughs> I mean Caden is an interesting character in his own right, but he's not like when you are sharing a ship with he's Tali. Just your, he's your Bucky without the Winter Soldier aspect. It's like if when you're sharing a ship with Tali and Garrus. Right. It's kind of like. Or Liara and Rex. Gotta, like I shuffled the four of them the whole game. Yeah. Like that's the thing. In a game like this, you have to make your humans more interesting because by default, everyone's going to want to take the aliens. Like. And that's why I think Jack and Miranda work. Oh yeah. Is cuz they're more interesting than just I'm another soldier in the army. I'm here for you, bud, or I Which like is Jacob. kind of yeah, and then like Ashley from the jump, I'm like I also tell that you can tell that you're kind of flirting with me. 
Like, I can tell that the game is giving me two options here. And in the first game, I chose neither of them. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, quick. do we want to talk about the rest of the people? or No, no, no. Because I barely even got to... Real quick, one of the most annoying aspects of Mass Effect 1, they don't tell you a lot of shit. One of the most obvious, obnoxious things they don't tell you is that if you are a male talking to Ashley, a female Shepard talking to Caden, or either of them talking to Liara, the top right, typically Paragon reaction to anything they say is basically you initiate wanting to initiate flirting yep. and romance. Uh-huh. And it is so maddening. <laughs> Because it's like, so what you're essentially doing is that, like, you're tricking new people into romancing characters they don't want to romance, which is just, how is that endearing them to anyone? Like, it just makes it so that I've seen so many playthroughs where somebody's been like, well, Ashley's trying to initiate a romance with me that I don't want, so I guess I'll just leave her on Vermeer. That makes that choice really easy for me. Or, well, I accidentally started a thing with Caden, but I still want to kill Ashley, so I guess I'll just ignore Caden for the rest of the game. And it's just like, this is a very avoidable problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very well, avoidable problem. On top of that, it actually fucked with my game, and I'll talk, I'll talk about that later. Because, like, yeah. I was accidentally building up stuff with, with someone that then, like, bit me in my romance to where, like, I had a romance in the second one, and then it changed by accident in the third, and I lost the first one. So, like, which probably to you who's played the game a bunch, I think you know where this is going. But, like, it, it messed with it because I didn't realize I had that high of points with someone else. Interesting. And I was like, okay, interesting. And I, at that point, I was kind of just like, fuck it. It's a game. I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to be mad about yeah. getting two cutscenes with two different people. Who cares? Um, so Ash, yes. So everyone I basically, I yeah, no, okay. Everyone basically points to what this one interaction and they go, see, Ash is a space racist. This is not true. Ash might have xenophobic tendencies because I mean, her family is very much coded, conservative, Christian. Yes. They're supposed to kind of evoke that feeling of like somebody who's she is totally come that from option. a right wing family. Um, but like also you have to remember that like Ash and her family are a very military focused family. And the Turian first contact war was not that long ago. And yeah, that's fair. So, I've been through all those dialogues to like know that like there's character development and the more that you talk to her, the more she changes. But I think that's a point to be made that I didn't talk to her that much because I was offset by that. And then she kind of stayed without that development because of that choice for me. So then when we get to three and she's back on the uh, back on the board and there's supposed to be this like connection of friendship there. I didn't build that up. That was like inserted in the game. And also I will maintain a second thing where it's like, yeah, this is very like real life in the aspect of like, yeah, no, this character would probably carry on being the way they are if it weren't for the fact that someone is intervening and challenge and like saying, okay, cool. Maybe you should challenge those beliefs or like try to change. 
which is what the Shepard character will do with Ashley if you if you talk long enough and ch- choose like Paragony options. There are options in Mass Effect 1 that are very much like, yeah, no, I'm on your side too, but like they're a means to an end. And I'm like, who would pick that? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of fucking asshole would pick that option? And also, like, renegade runs are a trip. But like, and also, it's a thing of like, if you actually listen to the things Ash says and don't try to like have a bias or like lean a certain way. If you actually listen to the things Ash says in this interaction, nothing she really says is terribly out of line at all in the sense that the Normandy is established from the jump. It's a very prototypical spaceship. There's not another one like it. It's cutting edge technology. It's very new. Uh, and so she says, I'm not 100% sure that non-human people on this very cutting-edge human spaceship should be, like, poking around the different areas of the ship and have access to everything because there is a belief that, like, you know, who knows? They might take a lot of our stuff and then go back to their people and go, hey, I know how to, like subvert this technology or create our own yada 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 i mean i'm not really obviously when you're the player you don't really give a shit about that but it's a thing of like when she says it and how she says it is kind of like oh well yeah but don't worry about it and then some people take that and they go like oh she's racist and then the next thing is the whole dog and bear comparison which everyone fucks up nobody's paid attention to what has actually been said and what she says is very telling because it literally happens in mass effect 3 she basically says if when push comes to shove the council races will protect their own and they will throw us to the wolves if they have to and that's literally what happens in mass effect 3 (laughs) so it's like It's crazy to see some people hate the council and leave them to die out of pettiness. And like, they, they basically agree with everything Ash has said on that, but then they turn right on around and go, Ash is a racist. I hate her. Let's kill her. And I'm like, but you agree. Like she literally just said the thing that you, that you, that you believe. (laughs) Oh, I didn't. I didn't choose for the council to die because I believe they should die. I just thought no, it'd no, be no. interesting. I, yeah, I'm talking. I'm talking about the fandom. I'm talking sure, about the fandom. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, um, yeah. Every a lot of the things that you have done in this playthrough, I can't really hold against you. It's your first time, and like, you know, there's a lot of shit. There's a lot of shit. Sure. So I won't really hold anything like that against you at all. Cool. Uh. So, yeah, and then she gets a glow up in three, and I guess we'll talk about that in three. Um, yeah. I feel like once we hit the lanes of Garrus, Liara, and Tali, we're just going to be, like, in the thick of the game. So let's talk about Rex. Um, Rex is a yeah, Krogan. because Rex definitely doesn't continue past the first Mass Effect, right? Yeah, he does. I just... <laughs> but he's not he's not a companion past the first one. Correct? <laughs> That's true. Okay. Uh I didn't want to lose Rex, okay? Um, I know. And Rex is just kind of like, to me, Rex was just kind of stereotypical Krogan. I was like, if you want a Krogan perspective, here it is. There's not that much individual from his, like, he's just kind of 
holding on to the perspectives about like how they use the the genophage to euthanize them. And so he's got a chip on his shoulder. Um, he doesn't quite trust the whole team, but he's there to because he wants to run. I mean, he, he wants who whose ass does he want to kick? Saren. OK, he's kind of Drax then. He's Drax from yeah. Guardians. Um, and I didn't want to lose him. Like I didn't. We get to the point where uh, Saren is trying to use Krogan to uh, further the cause of what's going on. Um, and Rex kind of has this this crisis of, well, I don't want to go and kill a bunch of people when all my people are already dying. So, like, don't make me go do that. And I'm not totally remembering the all the details of the conflict, but essentially I didn't have enough Paragon points to stop Rex from turning on us and being like, no, I'm not with you anymore. And then Ashley kills him, um, which, again, from my perspective in playing the game where I was, didn't help her cause. Um, exactly. <laughs> like exactly. you've gone over it. We don't have to go over it again, but it doesn't help her cause. Um, Baffling I didn't want to lose him. I was like, I got to that. I got to that point where I was just like, Oh God damn it. I literally can't stop this. Um, and I didn't have the right kind of save combination to go back. And I didn't want to go back that far. Cause I wasn't enjoying the game that much, um, to save him. But tell me what happens if he lives. Um, does he, does Erdnot, does Erdnot, uh, what's his face? get replaced by Rex for the rest of the series. Reeve. Yeah. Or not Reeve. Does he replace Rex in the series? Yes. Cause I've noticed who, re- who is supposed to replace who if you people don't survive. Yeah. Uh, essentially. Okay. So starting from the top, uh, there is basically, I think if I'm understanding two ways to save Rex, one is to have enough charm or intimidate to pick the blue or red fixes all problems answer and dialogue. Or you do his side quest where you get his family armor and it like endears him to you. And then it's also kind of like that kind of keeps him from blowing his load a little bit at you. Um, And then if he stays alive, uh, he, yes, replaces Reeve. And it's a much better relationship between uh, you and the leader of the Krogan, essentially. I didn't think Reeve was that hard to sway, though. No, and it's maybe that's because like, I had like piling on leveling from game to game because of the import. So like, I think I got an edge a little bit on some stuff it, where if I was playing it neutrally, maybe it wouldn't have been as effective. But like, I didn't think Reeve was that hard to navigate. No, it's just it's just missing a like a more personal touch of like. Sure. It's obviously easier to care about the Krogan if you have an avatar there that you have dealt with for a long time in the first game. I mean, um, I took also, the side of the Krogan deserve to not be euthanized well, yeah. very early on, too. You're a decent human being, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, like, Rex, actually, if you talk to him enough in the first game, lays out how, like, you know, I really wish that I could change the Krogan. We're just not really, you know, it's not really possible. And then you find out in the second game, he is actively, like, probably inspired by you, he is actively trying to unite the clans and have you know, peace and like get everybody together. Which like the female does at the end of the third, no matter what. Exactly. So Rex and Eve are actually like a really good combo. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, or not Reeve is very much like you're mine. And she's like, I'm not yours. Um, which I was like, I appreciate that. 
that she's got a, her own personality because like they very well based on the way that the games had gone they very well could have made them like completely docile and non-characteristic and i was like thank you for having a character who actually gives a shit um in eve yeah uh but yeah so i couldn't save rex um, which, you know, made my game play out absent Rex. He's the only one I lost. I, I think he's the only one that really, you, or no, sorry, that's not true. I lost Caden too, but I didn't give a shit about <laughs> Caden. Um, I didn't give a shit about Caden and Ashley was the one who I had seen in spoiler material. So I was like, I guess her story is more interesting. So like, let's do it. And then come to find out she's basically not in the second one. She refuses to, you know, like side with you, I think no matter what. Um, is that correct? You can't and get her. We yeah. will. And we will discuss that. Sure. Um, so now to the three clearly most important, all things considered characters that are not <laughs> Commander Shepard, <laughs> which are Garrus uh, Vicarian, who is a Turian, your sniper uh, who starts off as a, a Citadel security officer, a cop, um, but he doesn't quite like playing within the lines. Uh, and so he, you know, the longer he spends with you, the more he gets a taste for like just being his own hero um, and playing by his own rules. He's not really like an asshole renegade to me. Like at the, when, you know, at the end of the game, when both of your squad mates are essentially taken off the board before the final uh, confrontation in the Citadel. And yeah. the person that you're like the closest to is the one who's like, I'm not leaving you. That was that was Garrus for me. I played yeah. probably. And the only reason I played more levels with him is because in every case I got him before everyone else. Um, I got I like he was the first main com non-human companion that I got uh, in Mass Effect one. He was like mission number three in the dossier group for Mass Effect two. And he's mission number one in Mass Effect three. Um, yeah. cause also fuck James, uh, James is James Vegas. Stupid. Um, he's just Jersey shore incarnate. I didn't even talk to him. I spent more time talking to Cortez, my pot, my, uh, my, uh, hopper pilot, my gay hopper pilot. than I spent any time with James Vega, Go fuck yourself. I'm not talking about him again. Um, uh, anyway, Garrus was like my ride or die. Garrus was the one who, uh, when I was like, I'm not sure I'm doing combat that well because I'm not very good at shooters. Garrus was the person I chose to be like, you got me. You got me? Okay, we're going to get through this fucking level. Um, I played most of my game with him. And I really like, I think his story is kind of like, muted all things considered when it starts like it really is about him having trouble with like authority and playing inside the lines and then in the second one when we find him he's going by the code name archangel because he's essentially in the slums of the you know the underground space station but when i say underground it's not underground you get what i mean by like the term underground yeah um you do i know you do um <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, he is essentially taking out the gangs in that underground, but he's as a sniper. And when you see him again, he's like, he's kind of battered and he's been on his own for a while and he joins right back up with you. And he's got more of an attitude. He's more loose in those moments. And then finally, in the end, he, because he was with you in the final mission, if he survived, then, uh, he, you know, is a consultant on the Reapers and the Collectors because of proximity to you. And in Mass Effect 3, you're really giving a sense of like, Hey, Garrus, you're kind of a leader to these people. I know you're not the 
the main dude and you're not like, you know, political dynasty type, but like you're an important Turian and I believe in you and you're like my best friend. And I think that their scene um, in the Citadel where they go up and just like shoot skeet and you get the choice <laughs> of either beating him or letting him win. And I let him win. Um like is 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 one of the best scenes in the entire thing because it's just like i like these two as friends i really like that i'm really glad i chose him for the entire run i'm garris vicarian and this is now my favorite spot on the citadel yes because <laughs> <laughs> they fly up to a part they're not supposed to be at um and they have to go they kind of he's like i bet yeah i'm gonna prove once and for all that you're not a better sniper than me i never used the sniper maybe more than three times the entire <laughs> game uh so i was like yeah that's true i'm gonna let him win i don't care um this is for him this is the whole entire like prompt is like hey let's go do something uh, uh let's go do something about two-thirds of the way into the game to bond um so like I don't know much what else you have to say about Garrus. Garrus was just he's just an obvious best friend character. Yeah, Garrus is like probably the most universally loved character. Yeah. All around. Uh cuz he's also like probably main romance for Femship. Yeah, I'm sure that makes sense. Yeah. So I mean he's, he's charming, he's smooth. He can be an ass sometimes. Like he was an asshole in the background dialogue to Tali a few times and I was like, "Why?" Um, but that like, was the first game and there was all, all this like they want to show the tensions between all of the races. So they kind of just use the squad mates as avatars to do that, which I don't necessarily agree with, because then you get what you just said. of Like, I don't know why you're being such an asshole. And it's like, yeah, these are supposed to be your best friends. Why are you making them assholes? Right. <laughs> like they're not truly becoming a team. Exactly. At any point in the first one, whereas in the second one, like I felt like we were a team. And then I missed out. I don't know how I guess it didn't download for, you know, just saying this for the audience. Like there was DLC stuff in the third one that was supposed to come with the game. I don't know if it's because I made a new profile on his PS3 that I didn't get half of it. But there's supposed to be like a whole party where half of your old crew, even if they're not playable characters in the third one, all get together again. And I'm like, oh, and I watched some I watch recordings of those scenes um, and I was like, oh, I really would have loved that because I think that that's carrying through what the second one did. Um yeah. Uh, anything else to say about Garrus? He's covered for the whole game for me at that point. Like, he's great. <laughs> um, As I'm sure many people will say in response to us talking about it, there is no Shepard without Vicarian. Yeah. Very heartfelt, sincere. Oh, so no no, Jor- no Jordan without Pippin. Got it. Um, makes sense. <laughs> uh, That's basically what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Okay, let's talk about Liara. Um, Liara is an Asari, so, uh, tentacle, tentacle head ladies, blue ladies. Um, <laughs> you find her, she's a archaeologist, uh, and she's like pretty timid to start off, but she's a powerful biotic. She's the daughter of a sub antagonist in the first game, Matriarch Benezia. Like as Asari get older, they get, they're thousands, they're not thousands, hundreds of years old and they get like really powerful and they get really big boobs as they get older. Um, <laughs> again, again. <laughs> You know what they're doing. Um, and matriarchs are like really strong, like 
have a really strong sway over people's emotions and stuff like that. Um, and Liara is like still old, like much older than Shepard, but like she's young when you first meet her. And uh, she's very, very kind. And she's the one who like kind of taps into your brain and helps you make sense of your visions. And then the second one, she's not a playable character. You get another Asari uh, named Samara, who's got a, her own storyline. Uh, but the the DLC, I guess this is also DLC. Yes. That So essentially you get the option, you get hints in the first game. I hated that it was in the first game because it didn't mean anything. But there's just, there's essentially like a, a dude who has all the secrets named the Shadow Broker. And like who pulls strings throughout the galaxy with money and assassinations and things like that. Um, and it doesn't really matter in the first game. And in the second game, essentially, when you meet Liara on one of one of the uh, Asari major planets, um, as you're pursuing some other people and some other side quests, um, she is essentially going after the Shadow Broker. That's been her whole mission ever since she got back. She kind of just got I forget how she gets roped into it, but. Basically, through her missions, you can follow through and kill the Shadow Broker and then replace the Shadow Broker with Liara. Liara becomes a Shadow Broker for good and is feeding you intel for up, from throughout the galaxy. She's also trying to help her, like, her boyfriend, uh, Farron, who's a, a, a Krell. Is that, is that what it is? They are... It's very weird... Yeah, they, they don't really go into it, but like they're they kind of have like that. But that is supposedly not her boyfriend. But they kind like it's very much presented as like they might have a thing. It, he is pre- because pre- he is presented as a if you're gonna take Liara, you might break these two up. That's what it was presented as. And Liara, to me, from like a genre perspective, like is the one where they're like, oh, you want to fuck an alien? Here, yeah, here's here's the one you should pursue. Um, is absolutely Liara. Um, and that's really like, to me, that's the case throughout the whole game. Like later on in the beginning of the third, she essentially is building a time capsule to send out into space about Shepard's story. So it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, even if you don't get together with her in the end, it does kind of feel, and if you do the shadow broker thing and you go visit her on her base again, you can like take her up to, to your room, uh, whether you're like in a relationship with her or not. And she makes a statement where she's like, Oh, but you're with this other person, um, to like make that known. So I'm like, the game knows what it's doing. The game is planting Liara as a seed constantly as a romance option through the entire fucking game. Um, And so like when she does the whole time capsule thing, it's one of those things where it's like this can be very platonic and it's very sweet if it is platonic. But it is that kind of borderline of like, does she love you no matter what kind of a relationship, you know, like is she secretly in love with you the entire time is my feeling about Liara in that way. And also she's great, great in battle and has a lot of great cutscenes. I took her with to defeat her mom. Um, and I took her with on, uh, Thessia at the end of the, at the end of the thing. Cause I think that she like has a lot of great dialogue options. I think she's a very sweet grounded character. Um, but like, yeah, I get the sense that they're kind of like, Hey, that one's also in love with you. Yeah. I mean, in terms of that last part specifically, they do kind of establish in the first game that like, no, Liara is into you. Like, yeah, because, but it's specifically because of like your, uh, proximity to like the Prothean knowledge and like the fact yeah, that it's you like, s- like use the beacon and but like you're hot it's and also, you're her object of study. So exa- exactly, <laughs> like she she's into you in the first game. Um, 
But the way that I tend to, after I've gone through the game at least twice uh, with male and female Shep, uh, I have kind of come to the conclusion that, like, I typically, personally, view male Shep and Liara as good friends. And I view Fem Shep and Liara as, like, if you're not going to get with Garrus, you're basically going to get with Liara. It's like interesting. That's just kind of like how it read to me. Uh just because and also Garrus and Liara are like two of the only people that you No, not even that. Garrus and Liara Oh, okay. If you want to count Lara the Shadow Broker DLC, you only get 3 people for the entire game, for the entire series. You get Garrus, Tali, Liara, and those are your 3 that you they're the only 3 that you can play with all three games technically yeah which i mean kind of just naturally brings us to tolly cool uh so i guess i'll just say it tolly was the one where i was like that one um (laughs) so like even though she's not romanceable in the first one i went okay yeah this one i mean it makes sense knowing if you know me and you you see tolly you're like yeah he would um (laughs) so (laughs) Because she's because she's awkward and like really she like Liara sure is like that has that archaeology like you're fascinating. Ah, but Tali is like the hey, let me tell you about this thing I'm nerding out about. Tali's the nerd option to me. And to like to me, Tali and Jack are actually more opposite in terms of appeal for people than Jack and Miranda are Uh, like because Tali to me is just the nerd choice. Um, And you can't even romance her in the first one, which is why I was like, I'm just building up points with Tali for the next game. Cause I like, I didn't, I didn't know that in the case I got to the end of the first game and I was like, you just can't really romance anybody in this game because I just made that choice. I was like that one. I like that one. So T- Tali's a Quarian. Um, so those are the ones to recap your memory that live inside the suits. So she's got like this purple, uh, mask on the entire time. And like this, like breathing apparatus. And, um, she's very middle Eastern coded in her dialect and in like the patterns on like on top of the helmet is like a head scarf um, kind of a thing. So she's very coded in that way Um, or maybe not Middle Eastern, but like also like, you know, Muslim coded um, as are the, the the entire Quarian race. Um, Or I guess, I guess you could also say they are Romani coded um, in that way. Uh, but yeah, I liked like Tali was fun to talk to in her cutscenes. Like she had the brightest, she had the brightest conversations. Yeah, of everyone. Like Garrus is like I'm a cop, and Ga- and Rex is like my whole race is dead, and Ashley's like racism, and I didn't talk to Caden. Um, and Liara's like I think that maybe you have an erection. Um, is like the vibe <laughs> I got from everybody. <laughs> Um, and then Tali was just like, Hey, I really like talking about engines. And I, and here's why, because like my people, if an engine dies, we all die. So like, I'm really into this shit. And then you meet her in the second game and she's doing like more like stuff to progress. I really loved her story in the second one where you have to basically stop her from being exiled. I failed. Um, what? I think I was just shy of enough. Yeah. I stopped her from, I, I, I failed at her being exiled. Um, so she got she gets exiled and has to be on the Normandy, um, which honestly, like in the moment is important. But like the fact that she's working with them again in the third one with no problems is like not a big deal, I guess. Um, but it's like a cool moment in it where essentially she gets uh, 
she's bringing geth technology back to her dad so that he can uh like try to create weapons to fight them because that's their conflict between the two of them those two uh species and she gets kind of caught uh because some of the geth start reforming themselves and you have to kill them on the on the base and it her dad was not doing ethical things and you essentially have the choice between hey either you get her off scot-free and her dad does reputation is gone but if you don't have enough paragon or renegade points you I, she either gets exiled and her dad's reputation is preserved or you destroy her dad but that would have destroyed the romance with her noted i looked up that romance so i was like oh, i guess i don't have the option eh, sorry tolly you're coming with me um because she was going to come on the ship anyway it's not like we would lose her if she was not disgraced um so i was like okay cool i'll take tolly i'll keep tolly but yeah i just found that she's fun and like when you finally do start the romance she's like She's the one who, even though you can't see her face, is like visibly blushing in the body language that they do for her. And I'm just like, this is cute. I think that she's a fun character. I love her story. I love the Quarian story. I think it's one of the best like species stories in the entire thing. Yeah. Uh, and like their whole journey from beginning to end. And like in the end, you t- you see images and flashbacks of how the Geth were created and you have to resolve that conflict between those two and the Geth become their companions and repopulating their homeworld. And Tali's going to like get a, a, like a plot of land at the end and like start her own life, um, which is, you know, I, I think that that story is really great. And I was annoyed that I fucked up that romance because you don't get Tali until like the like halfway through the game and I didn't realize that I had so many points with Liara that I was kind of spamming a conversation with Liara and I kissed her and I was like, Oh shit. Well, I was like, okay, that's probably not that going to be that bad that like, maybe it'll cause some conflict and I'll have to like revisit this choice and like convince Tali that it's okay. And maybe I don't have a thing with Liara, but then the Tali option hears it through the grapevine and goes, you're with Liara now. I get it. Um, and is like, okay with it. And I'm like, well, okay, now I missed out on all of this positive, like, romance-based interaction with Tali as we reclaim her homeworld. And she's, like, seeing it for the first time on her own, like, stepping foot on her soil um, since the hundreds of years that that her species has been uh, mobile. And I'm like, okay, this would have been better if, like, I had a deeper connection with her, but, like, I fucked that up. So I was like, well, damn, I didn't mean to do that, but I did. And I guess I got Liara at the end. And the thing about Liara was that I was like, all right, fine. I guess I'm fine with Liara. But then she kind of was boring. You know? I mean, especially, yeah, compared to Tali, it's like, I mean. Yeah, she's kind of boring. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I love Liara. We all love Liara. But there's a reason. great. And there's like a comfort in like, Liara is like, Liara is like uh, Peggy Carter. You know, Liara is like, like uh, yeah, it's like comforting. This is why when I this is why I got big platonic friend vibes with Mailship because it's just like, yeah, I would genuinely buy just Liara is just like best friend. Liara is just yeah. solid, consistent, there for you, emotional support. Yeah, she's girl next door. Yeah. um, Like supportive wife. Yeah. And, you know, there's a reason amongst a lot of, like, a big portion of the fandom, Tali is referred to regularly as best girl. Like. Yeah. There's a very clear. (laughs) 
dynamic of like Tali and Garrus are basically male Shep, femme Shep romances one and one. Um, yeah, but that at ooh that remind that so did Tali go on to um romance anyone else? Uh. I feel like I picked up a hint of something, but I don't remember what it was. So there is a thing that if you don't like it, I could tell that Garrus and the new doctor, cause I, I let Chakwas uh, stay with the Alliance in the third one. And so like, there was a hint that Garrus and Michelle were going to like be together. And so like, I picked up on that one. Really? I guess you've never made that combo. Have you? Um, well, it's just, well, first of all, yeah, I pick Chakwas every time because Chakwas can get it. But, uh, like... Yeah, that drinking scene with her is very fun. <laughs> but, um, there's a thing of, like, if you don't romance Tali or Garrus, they get together. Interesting. Yeah, which I, I have feelings I guess it was, about. I guess it was deterred <laughs> by the fact that I romanced Tali at some point. Um yeah. That's why I was curious. I'm the fact like, that you can't be gay until the third one, though. Yeah, it will. We'll, you know what? We'll cover this in Mass Effect Two. We're not even in two. <laughs> I mean, technically, I mean, speaking, I've been I've been crossing over the, the full arcs of pretty much everyone. Like I've been talking full. Speaking, arc. We haven't. We've talked about all the major squad mates in one. I guess we could talk about Joker, but we could also just talk about Joker and Mass Effect 2. So... I mean, honestly, just talk about him in 3. Uh, sure. Um, so... Yeah, Mass Effect 2. So let me give... Let me give, let me give a little bit of a side story that re- is related to what I'm about to start talking about. So the Legendary Edition. It's a remaster. I actually kind of had mixed feelings about the remaster when it was announced because I was just like, I need a remake. I need a remake, not a remaster. And you know what? Maybe that's asking for too much. I'm fine asking for too much. And especially when we get to Dragon Age. No, Dragon Age needs Dragon Age 1 and 2 need remakes. You can maybe get away with remastering Inquisition. But, like, those first two need to be overhauled from the ground up and updated. Um, The reason I wanted that for Mass Effect, though, is that, as you kind of have found out, you can still just play the Mass Effect trilogy as is. Like, the remaster is, like, nice, I guess, to have on one disc... But at the same time, a lot of it still holds up. And it wasn't that long ago that, like, it ended in terms of generation, in terms of console generations. So, like, my thing was that, like, if you're going to do this, I need an actual reason to get this new thing aside from brand loyalty. Like... Because Mass Effect 1 is clunky as all hell, needs to be remade. Mass Effect 3 has all the shit with the ending, which we're gonna get to, obviously. But then Mass Effect 2 has some fuckery, too, because... Um, excuse the fuck out of me. How are you gonna have a game set in the future with alien species, 
and you had the option to romance Liara with Femship in the first game, and there's no main gay romances? The fuck? Yeah. No. And it's, like, 100% because there was, like, pressure from, like, I think Fox... And, like, there was all this hoopla about, like, all the sex scenes in the first game. And so they just basically no-homoed all of Mass Effect 2, which is egregious when you have a character like Jack. Because it's like, yeah, no way. Ain't no way in hell is Jack heterosexual. Fuck off. Nah. That's that's legitimately not true. And I actually... No. <laughs> There's no way. I mean, everyone um, should be a little bit like Donald Glover's approach to Lando Calrissian. Yeah. It's like, there's so many things to fuck. Like, what is even the... You're, you're ali- These are alien species. They're completely separate species. The only what person who should fuck? have a problem with this is Ashley Williams. <laughs> God damn it. You lined it up by calling her conservative. Um, <laughs> well, oh, to be fair, I called her family conservative. Sure. I think... I think Ash is a no- Ash is probably a centrist and then yes. leans more to the left. But yeah, so Mass Effect 2 in terms of squad mates, I think it's it's not even like up for debate. This is the best squad. Yeah. Of like absolutely. all three games. Variety and like and like the fact that like you have to keep take everyone out on their own loyalty missions like you can't sideline anybody while doing a mission about them so you have to manage with everyone um and you have to get to know like you you get guided through everyone's various different powers except for i guess like because jacob and miranda start with you it's a little easier to kind of forget about them until like you have to work with them but even then i'm like yeah, I really felt like I got to know every single person because the game revolved around their stories intertwining with mine and I had to then dig deep into them per, like on a mission for them. And I and they were all interesting takes within the lore. Like it was a massive lore expansion for the entire series in stuff yeah. that like was written in the first one in my codex but was not manifested to me beyond Rex dying. So, like, Grunt being a test tube baby and, like, hopping out and not knowing who he is until he can reconnect with his Krogan roots and go through, the, like, the the rites, like, the rites of passage um, and, like, his place within, like, the hierarchy of, of that and how he's still a little bit of a maniac. He's still a little bloodthirsty, all things considered, and you have to manage that. But, like, you help honor him and he, you get his loyalty. Like... That's all I'm going to say about Grant. Yes. That's why I brought him up. <laughs> yes. And and he and he is our son. Yes. Yeah. And you know, the his the fake out of his death uh in the third one is kind of like, all right, fine. Um I thought I would have had to <laughs> actually I thought I would have had to actually have chosen whether or not he survives. Um but I didn't. Uh, that's all I got to say about Grunt. Samara is very much the same. Like, uh, Samara is like a really high level, not quite a matriarch for Asari, but they call her a Justicar, which is like a sect of Super cop, uh, basically. Well, yeah, I think she is a matriarch. Just the just a car like supersedes. Yes. Um, and she has to hunt down her own daughter who is now essentially like, uh, the take femme fatale and turn it up to 25. Um, like literally like fucking people and then killing them. 
Um, and apparently you can. She's a mantis woman. Yes. Uh, and then apparently there's an option to where you can side with the daughter and steal the daughter into your team and not Samara. And I was like, that's interesting. I didn't even realize that that was an option. Which is fucking stupid. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I guess it does. I mean, sometimes I, I will say this is my first one, but it sometimes giving options like that make it feel like I actually have an impact on things, you know? Like, I don't mind one or two of those along the way, even though I would probably not choose them. Just knowing that they exist, I'm kind of like, all right, I actually am fine with this. This is this is interesting in its own way. But yeah, tomorrow's I fine. Mean, I would I would be more for the option if they actually took the time to genuinely make more the character and had you actually get to know her like get samara earlier so you can do all this but i think because she like starts with a really high power level they don't want to put her very early in the game i mean i think it's just a they front load the familiar characters in a way and they front load the like quote-unquote more interesting like a meat like surface yes, level essential immediate yes. characters and then like morden during the last parts they get the more like mature characters yeah um, um but uh and like i think maybe if they had kind of gone with the whole samara's a cop and morinth is like anti-cop like sure maybe maybe you can make that we already got jack though yeah, yeah. Jack is full on anarchist. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, segue. I really like. I. I. I will. I'm not quite at the level of saying that I love Morden, but like I really like Morden, and I cared a lot about his ending. Um. Yeah. Like, because Morden's whole thing is that Morden was a Salarian who worked on the Genophage that that uh, sterilized the Krogan, and he has like a unique perspective on it, where it's like he's the data guy. He is the even though he's by, he's, you know, a, a biological being, he is the, I, you know, I did the calculations and this was the best way to solve the war that we ran at the time. And like, I don't have necessarily feelings about it. I don't like the suffering, but that's what kind of happened. And I'm not going to dwell on it. I've processed my emotions on it. And then in his loyalty mission, it's all about one of his students curing the genophage and doing all the research. And in the moment you like stop him, but you convince, you have to convince Morden whether or not to, this is like one of the big choices that's like listed in your choices when you download your two game into three of like, did you save this piece of data? And I did, cause I already stated I'm very pro cure the Krogan and Morden has kind of like a crisis of faith of like, I thought we were coming here to save you. I thought you were a hostage and you're actually helping them. I don't know if I've been wrong about this whole thing, but maybe there's new data here about why we need to s- reverse this and that whole level okay i i feel like a few clarifications need to happen real quick um one do you believe that morden helped make the genophage i thought he did no okay. uh salarians have infamously short lifespans so uh morden's on the older side he's like an old man by Sol- salarian standards and they only live to be like 40 maybe 50 um, so he helped, he and his team noticed that the genophage was like kind of fading and they helped like, Oh, re- that's right. That's right. Redo it. They re-upped it. The thing with Malin is that 
he is, yes, trying to cure the genophage, but he's also doing highly unethical. That's right. I forgot about that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, so Morden is then equipped in the third game when you have the option of like, hey, if you want the Krogan on your side, you kind of got to cure their whole problem. Um, you need to give them a, a, a stake in this because otherwise they're just like, well, we're already dying. Why do we care? Um, why do we fight for you? And so that's the choice that I made. And Morden gets to the top of the, you know, tower from Amazing Spider-Man 1 Um because it's the same device it's the same chemical dispersion device um and like essentially sacrifices himself to deliver the cure um to all of you know all the krogan and the salarians keep it under wraps like nobody wants to acknowledge that morden did it because it would embarrass the salarians but like the krogans know and i'm like yeah no this is a guy who like i have witnessed because i used i did every dialogue option i could with him i'm like and i witnessed his perspective on things. And I don't think that he necessarily like had a massive growth arc, but I don't think he had to. I think I just saw more of him as this, as the games went on. And I appreciate that. Yeah. You very much meet Morden at like the end of his life when he already has kind of reflected and like known that like, yes, this is kind of a black stain on my career and my legacy and I'm trying to make peace with it. And then when it's, you know, presented in three that he actually can reverse it, th- it's like it basically becomes his thing of like, well, yeah, this is the one last thing I have to do. Um, It just like this is. Yeah. Morden is like one of the two deaths that like typically like wreck people. Yeah. He's a he. I, I like him as a character. All, like all in all. um, Well-rounded guy um who are we talking about next uh let's talk about miranda okay miranda i i was not sure if i got close to miranda if she would later betray us fair because she like jack calls her was the cerberus cheerleader um and in terms of like you know seeing the interactions i didn't have with her like looking up stuff i was like yeah no like she has she gets to be a little bit more rounded and and like as you just like choose to get closer to her she's closer to a normal human but she's her story is that she's literally a like biologically ideal woman um her father literally bi- genetically engineered her to be perfect and he works for Cerberus and she's kind of always been with Cerberus and she believes in their mission, all th- all things considered. So you're like, you don't really know if you can trust her. And that's established from the moment you meet her. But she's also the one who literally rebuilt your body. Um, and so through most of the second game, un- unless you are interacting with her, unless you are choosing to make her like a friend or potentially a romance option, then you don't really know what to make of her. And I certainly didn't um, to the point where like, you go on a side mission to she has a clone sister who is kind of under the under the thrall of her father and you are trying to get her away from the father so that uh, she can, you know, live a happy life without that dude because he's, you know, not good. Uh, and so that's kind of the thing that wins her over to your side. And I had her loyalty. And the thing that broke it for me is that I didn't I was like a few points shy. I literally looked it up of solving the problem without losing loyalty of both uh like jack who is a cerberus experiment versus miranda who is a cerberus like perfected operative and they have a fight 
Um, and I didn't have enough points just barely to make their loyalty come through. And I couldn't, I didn't have enough game left because I left Jack's mission for the last one. Uh, I didn't have enough game left to regain her trust. And so I was left at the end of this game basically being like, well, I guess Miranda's going to kind of be on the sidelines. And I regret that because I think she's a cool character, especially with what you learn about her in the third one that I was kind of like, but I don't know if I could trust you. And the whole game revolves around not trusting Cerberus, even though you're working with them. So I was kind of like, I am really interested. I have people that I care about that I'm going to spend more time with. So like you're kind of just falling to the wayside here because I think that if I got attached to you, you just betray me, um, which I guess is not the case. That doesn't happen. Yes. So as I mentioned with Ash, Ash is the character that I tend to, you know, sometimes it depends on how much energy I have of like if I'll defend Ash or not, because if I have the energy, sure, I'll defend Ash and be like, no, she's not a fucking racist. And if you actually take the time to get to know her. She's actually a layered, interesting character that is not just a, because I think the other thing people forget is that she's like supposed to be the typical soldier. She is a soldier. Like, so she is aggressive, is pretty blunt, doesn't have a lot of tact. Like those are all character traits of an archetype that have nothing to do with like any of that racist stuff. But people use that as like, a kind of, well, fuck Ash thing. If I have the energy, I may or may not defend her. I will always defend Miranda because, in my opinion, Miranda is the actual best character in Mass Effect 2. Interesting. I feel like I can get with that on yours. I just, I like some others better, but, like, I can understand where you're coming from. And, and it's, it's, Rough because, like, I feel like a lot of people are initially turned off to her. Some people, like you, might think that she'll betray you, and some people don't take her on the final, like, the final, final part of the final mission. And I'm kind of biased in a way because I have all the knowledge. I know that from beginning of game to end of game, Miranda has the fullest arc. She actually does a complete 180 throughout yeah. the game. Yeah, because so, for the audience at the end of it you at the end of it she's the one who's like lead like essentially on her own she keeps keeping it a secret and you're kind of just giving her supplies in 3 in secret like learning that uh Cerberus is experimenting with Reaper indoctrination technology and that like her sister's wrapped up in it um and you see her in recordings in the base, like all throughout that mission until you finally see her, like catch up with her um, in the final confrontation. And, and then at the very end, you also learn in like the final mission, you get videos of your resurrection and how much work she did on that. And the whole thing about like, she had the option to put a compliance chip in your head and she chose not to is like a whole thing with her as well. Yeah. Um, and also, if you take her on the final, final part of the suicide mission in two, and you d choose to, like, tell the elusive man to fuck off, and you're not going to save the Reaper, the human Reaper for his collection and data, Miranda, right on the tails of you saying that, goes, consider this my resignation. You've gone too far. Ooh, okay. Like, and that's, like, a huge, it's, like, the final, like, 
nail in the coffin of like her. Yeah, I would probably choose her to be more in my team in a future replay than if if I ever replayed it again. I'm probably never going to. Don't get your hopes up. Ah, uh, but no, 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 that's fine. Mass Effect <laughs> is not really We'll we'll touch on that. But like I think Miranda genuine is such an interesting and like it's like the it, you know, it's the Okay, I spoilers for Avatar: The Last Airbender. I'm sorry, but like, she's basically the Zuko. She's the Zuko speed run of like, sure, yeah. You know, you kind of get the feeling that like, I feel like there's more to you. I feel like you're gonna change over the course of the game. You're a little cold right now, but you know, yeah, just I'll keep an eye on you. Maybe, maybe you could be. And plus, I mean. Let's not dance around the fact Miranda's hot. Sure. Yeah, fine. But like. Well, but also like to that aspect, like if we're quantifying all of these different characters of like from a heterosexual standpoint of like best friend or like, you know, best girl or, you know, like girl next door. Like Miranda is the the, you know, by like high like high school or or normal life terms, like the bad bitch who's got everything together, like from the surface. Like the one who you're like intimidated by. I probably would equate Miranda to like the one competent manager at your retail job. Sure. That like you kind of don't want to take your job seriously. You don't care about the job that much. Therefore, you naturally butt heads and kind of don't really like that she like brings the hammer down and knows what you're supposed to be doing and reins you in a lot. But at the same time, you can never fully like get too mad because you you know at the same time, well yeah she if I actually needed help with somebody I'm not gonna go to the other f- chuckle fuck managers I'm gonna go to her because she actually knows what the fuck she's doing yeah that makes sense um yeah I just didn't play with her all that much uh, all things considered and I you know especially with the way that the game ended I'm kind of like oh yeah I I think I that's maybe one of my strongest. I don't have very many regrets in the choices that I made and like Rex dying and not giving Miranda enough of a fair shake are probably two of them. If I have any regrets. Um, Yeah. And that's fair. But on the flip side, I don't regret siding with Jack for a minute. No. Um, So Jack is a human. Jack is a very powerful biotic, very powerful psychic powers uh, who was experimented on from the from day one in a Cerberus facility uh, and broke out and then proceeded to like go through roaming gangs of criminals uh, until finally you meet her on a prison ship where the the head of the prison tries to take you for bounty. Uh, and in the meantime, you set free Jack to be like, hey, we can help each other. Come join us. And Jack does. And then you learn all about the dark history. Her her loyalty mission is going to the abandoned uh, and the reason I left it for the end is because I thought it was still operational. I forgot the abandoned part. So when I got to that mission, I was like, oh, I could have done this earlier because I thought it was going to sway Cerberus against me. Um, it's an abandoned facility where she grew up to just blow it up, just to burn it all and be like, we're done. We're not doing this anymore. Um, and she has a choice to, like, kill a colleague who is still there. Uh, who also can't let go. And I convinced her to not do it. But you get to, like, go walk around and, like, click dialogue options about her bed and her like the hallway where she made her first kill and 
the desk she would hide under and the window she would scream through while all the other kids were on the other side because she was they were literally doing tests on other children to make sure that they could be done on her because she was the perfect specimen. And I was like, you're great. You're great. You've done no wrong. Yeah, you fucking kill a lot of people, but like, fine, no problem. And then so like I'm going to say something about three right now in regards to Jack is that like, I like where Jack ended up. Jack was a frequent member of my team. If I, he sh- Jack was my biotic choice. If I needed a biotic on the team, um, like my general philosophy was like fighting Geth or fighting Cerberus. I'm making sure that I have a tech person in Garrus fighting, uh, like collectors or big bosses. I did like Tali and Jack. And then like, if it was fighting, um, like just the Reaper forces in three, I took Garrus and uh, Liara. So like I always like I balance my biotics with my techs. And uh, so Jack was a frequent person on my team. And so like I think my relationship with Jack was closer. I never like got to the point. I think I got one dialogue option close to a romance with Jack, but I just I was far enough gone with Tali at that point. It didn't matter. Um, but like the thing that frustrates me most about the third one is that like, yeah, all these characters come back and I'm a little annoyed that there was absolutely no playability with half of your squad from the previous game because Jack landed in a really good place. Jack ended up being like the, one of the teachers at the Academy for like biotic humans, um, where you also met the guy from operation overlord. Um, and Jack is like, has a purpose now. And gets to do that. And while like, sure, I don't want to interfere with that by taking Jack along and having like odds of losing Jack and things like that. But I'm like, I could have liked to have Jack have Jack for a few missions before something called and we lose Jack at that point. And that frustrated me about a lot of people like everyone who's surviving is showing up in later missions. But it's annoying that I only have six of them to play with. And one of them is James. Yep. Cool. All right. Great. Um, so the only other person we got to talk about, I think that I played cause I didn't do, uh, Saeed. Um, I didn't even know it was there. Uh, and then in the third one, because the DLC didn't work, I didn't get the guy who is a Protheid. Yep. So it's, he sounded cool. I saw him on, you know, summaries, but no idea who he is, is Legion. I fucking love Legion. Not going to lie about that. Um, I was really torn about turning him on because I knew it was going to be a, a, a Tali thing. And I had already failed the check with, uh, Miranda and Jack. And so I was like, fuck, fuck. I literally did the thing where like I maxed out a certain skill so that it would double my Paragon points. So I'd be like, fine, we're good. We're good. I'm not losing this romance for the robot, but I also want to do his mission. Like I really want to do his mission before we do the final thing. I almost, uh, triggered the final like end game sequence before turning him on because I didn't realize that I had already done enough side missions to qualify. And I literally that was one of the two times that I ever went back. Um, oh, no, we're missing one other person, Thane. Um, uh, there's one of the two times I ever went back was that and Thane's mission because I failed Thane's mission, which is funny because I play Assassin's Creed, so I shouldn't have. Um, but... <laughs> But Legion, I literally was like, I better pass this check. And I did. But like Legion, to me, I'm like a geth on my side and an opportunity to see the geth's perspective. Abso-fucking-lutely. So Legion is literally a AI geth who you find in one of the very last missions of Mass Effect 2 who like basically is independent. Or at least he is a part of a faction of geth who are not 
rewritten by the Reapers to serve them. And you have a whole mission with him about blowing up like one of the old facilities that has the software that the Reapers are using to control the Geth. Now, they kind of unwrite that, or at least they make it smaller, than the, the impact smaller in the third one, which is annoying. But because I thought it was going to be more rippling effect. But yeah, I I liked everything about Legion. And like Legion, while he's an AI and he's cold and calculating, kind of like Morden, he's endearing because he's just like, he, he like through all of this and all the perspective that he adds to it and being an AI and still being like logic based, he's just so endearing still. I can't really put my finger on it right now because we've been talking for two hours, but like <laughs> I just really I mean, liked Legion. I'm so glad I activated him. I thought I'm really glad I passed the check in the third one to make sure Tali doesn't fucking kill herself. Um, God. Yeah. What a downer, right? Yeah. Uh, fucking that would have been a terrible decision. Um, but like, yeah, I just, I like Legion. What do you have to say about Legion? Legion is one of the best characters. Just, it's like one of those things of like, once you set up a thing enough, it's like something like Legion is the thing of like, just saying the concept out loud is like, yeah, that's going to hit. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, you get a gif and it's like, oh Yes. You get a Geth ally. That's amazing. But not only that. And he wears a piece of your armor. That's amazing. I thought he was going to be an AI version of Shepard um, when I first saw them. <laughs> uh, that makes the Citadel DLC even more funny. But um, like, like Legion is the thing of, and he adds more. I think the best thing about a lot of the Mass Effect 2 squad mates them being there just adds more yeah. to the foundation that was already laid out in Mass Effect 1. Legion probably the most out of any of them because he dro- casually drops the bombshell of like, oh, no, all those Geth you killed in Mass Effect 1, they're not the true Geth. They were a subdivision of the Geth that decided to go to the Reapers for help in you know growing and forming their own society and the rest of us the true geth we were like no we want to create this for ourselves and it's this interesting thing a lot of people have a lot of different takes on legion's loyalty mission and what it means to rewrite versus should you destroy and like all that stuff but i think legion is a really great exercise in like look i understand Every like this is a medium that is created by humans. We kind of have no choice but to largely base a lot of whenever we make other species and shit, they kind of have to somewhat be likened to humans a little bit. Like, you know, sometimes you can kind of like, oh, we used a a raptor or a dinosaur as like the thing, and then we got Turians or we started with like a cockroach and that's how we get collectors and like, but like for the most part, a lot of them are humanoid. A lot of them have a lot to do with humans. And so there comes this temptation to treat every species like humans. But what I love about Legion and his loyalty mission is that it puts into in like right at the front of the conversation that it's like, well, but the Geth aren't human. You you can't... And he literally says, the Geth are not organic beings. To treat them as such is racist. And I'm like, 
Ooh, ooh, I, ooh, I, I, I like how gray all of this is because the only reason that rewriting the Geth is so controversial and why, um, real quick, did you bring Tali on that mission? I didn't. I don't remember who. No, I brought Miranda. I was trying to win points with Miranda. Oh, <laughs> oh interesting. Um, I was trying like, to win Miranda Brandon... back, so I was like, I guess I got to take her. <laughs> I mean, I won't complain about that. But, um, and, like, bringing Tali is interesting because Tali's not so much against Legion. She kind of is there trying to figure out this problem with us just like anybody else would. And so Shepard and Tali have this knee-jerk reaction of, like, well, we can't rewrite them. That's brainwashing. And Legion is like, well, we don't really see it that way because it's not the same thing. Your brains are chemical, so you literally can brainwash something. We're logical. If you show us that one plus one equals two. Yeah, you just change the, you know, demonstrate the logic. Right. If you show us that one plus one equals two, then we'll believe it. But especially if we believe one plus one equals three, which is kind of what the virus even is. Yeah, it's like, yes. Uh-huh. And so, I, yeah, I thought that Legion was a great addition. I thought the loyalty mission was a great addition. Um, It's a shame that it comes so late, but I also get it. I get it. Yeah, you can't, you can't just have that lingering through the whole game. I get why it's the very last thing. But like, and then he plays a role in the final uh, one if you do turn him on. Um, And I just love how like in the missions in the third one, he's just like, I'm going to go do this other thing while you're doing that. And he just goes flat and then he just falls straight down out of the plane (laughs) (laughs) and then unfurls when he gets on the ground. I'm like, I love that. You're just a doofy little robot boy. Um, I wish you were on my phone background of robots. I mean, it's kind of the closest Mass Effect gets to like a droid. Yeah, basically. Yeah. That's the closest we get to it. Um, so one one person that I'm really upset that I forgot about in the lineup is Thane, the uh, the Krell assassin. So he's kind of like a fish froggy boy. Um, Drell. Drell. I say Krell. Krell's something else. Yeah, um, yeah oh, Drell. Krell. <laughs> Swim away. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, he's a green, 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 dark eyed boy. Um, I don't like his little like cut, like in the cutscenes where he suddenly starts talking like this because he's reliving his memories. I'm like, eh, that's a little bit weird. Um, it's a little too close to Borden. But I love that he is like religious and an assassin. Um, and I literally had to replay his his mission because I failed it and then his son wasn't going to be a factor in it. And I was like, no, no, that's one thing I want to change. I want to make sure his son gets to meet him and he gets to stop his son. Um, he he jumps on your team. I forget why he jumps on the team, but his loyalty mission is his son is following in his footsteps and he's been absent. Um, and he's also dying. He's dying of a very long form disease. So like that's another factor to his spirituality and where he sees his place in the world. And, you know, that's he effectively took, why he joins you. Yes. Like he's just like, this is this is a noble cause. I've caused a lot of death i've saved a lot of you know i in some ways maybe i saved some people but like i caused a lot of death and i need to be forgiven so like i'm going to to do this because it's the right thing to do um and that's who i i want to be in the end of my life similar to morton in that way and uh and so you stop you know if you succeed in that mission you stop his son from assassinating a politician and um later 
you get to see his son also you get to be with his son on his deathbed thane shows up a little bit and gives you a little bit of information he's at the hospital uh in mass effect 3 for most of it um and kind of somewhat helps you in your mission when the citadel is like when the citadel coup happens by cerberus um and you get to like again thane similar to morden's death and i'm guessing this is where you're going with this like you basically like help his son pray over his body as he dies. Um, because like, no matter what, even they tried to do blood transfusions with his son. And I can only imagine what that's like if the son is not in his life based on the decisions you make in the previous game that like, I'm, you know, I think that, uh, that was one of the very like nice send offs. And it was the first one, first time that I noticed the wall of names in the Normandy of previous deaths was that name. Yeah. Was I thought saw Thane's name. Yeah. Uh yeah, the two deaths that like really fuck people up are Thane and Morden. They're well written. They are well written. They're I- well written and they're and they're also not written in a way where you can like where you have a lot of like I like that there is a degree of there are some characters that you have some pull with. And the, like your actions are going to tug them in certain directions, mm-hmm. um, like clearly Jack and Miranda and Tali and Legion. Um, but then there are some characters that are like, no, this is a pillar. They're going to they're going to be this way and they're going to be very detailed and they're going to have a very specific perspective and a per- specific personality. And so, like, in a way, cool. It's all right that maybe I couldn't play as Morden and Thane in the final game because of the way that their stories were like the trajectory of their stories i can't imagine morden not going on that mission and so you would have had to make him like obligated to go on that mission instead of the people you wanted to go so like i get it in some cases but like yeah those two are pillar characters that like hold up the the heart of the whole story yeah also lot of lot of people are thirsty for thane (laughs) interesting (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's a romance for Femship, uh, although it's a tra- you it's a relationship tragic. you go in knowing that it's not going to have a happy ending. It doomed. It doomed, just like Jacob. <laughs> um, is there anything else to say about Mass Effect 2 besides, like, you go, Martin Sheen, good job? Yeah, to be fair, Mar- Martin Sheen does do a good job. Um, I think his voice is recognizable enough to like take I mean the, it's fucking with anybody who knows the West Wing but Yeah, I think it's recognizable enough to kind of give the gravitas that he brings as an actor but not distracting enough to be like, "Oh, hello celebrity" the entire time. Right. Yeah. And that was a fucking fantastic choice. Like the casting of like most of these voices are like pitch perfect. Yeah. And then, yeah, I get that. I mean, then again, I don't think there would be anybody who would be like, because quite frankly, you know whose voice I like the least is Shepherds, like the male Shepherds, and that's like a meme. That is to me the 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 most annoying vocal performance. I mean, his vo- his entire delivery across all three games is just one big meme, like. Yeah, in the sense of like, I get that. you know, a lot of the funny lines, quote unquote, get funnier because it's Mir's like version of Shepard, whereas Jennifer Hill's like doing it straight. Like she's just a yeah, very good, very experienced uh, voice actress. And also that's just her voice, which is wild to me. Every time I like listen to her talk like somewhat seriously, 
I just like, oh my God, it's Shepard. <laughs> um, it's her. It's her. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. I've been chosen. I think. I th- well, okay. Um, any thoughts on Kasumi, I guess? Oh, yeah, Kasumi. God, I keep forgetting these freaking. Uh, uh, people, um, I like Kasumi. Kasumi was one of, was the first non uh, non Cerberus um, mission I did, and I was like Kasumi's whole thing about uh, breaking into the like that was a fun mission. Yeah, that's another thing that Mass Effect Two got to do is that I got to do missions that were like this is fun because ooh he is self claiming my bed right now. <laughs> he has never been on my bed without me literally there. That means to me, that means that he's ready to go the fuck to sleep. Um, you're, you're keeping this in, um, folks. <laughs> my, my dog is being is is two days into living here and uh, is already like, nope, we're go we're we're going to bed. When you said we're going to bed right claiming, now. I had a very specific thought of what he was doing to your bed. <laughs> no, he's fixed. Um, but they left his ball sack intact. <laughs> Like, there's no balls in the ball sack. So it kind of just looks like he's pooping all the time, which he has not done yet. Um, he has only peed since he's been here. Uh, but yeah, no, if you ever meet this dog, it, his ball sack is still there. Um, I don't know why. I've never met a ma- like a male dog who they didn't just full on like seal it up. Um, but all right, I guess he's just going to have that dingleberry for the rest of his life. Um <sighs> This is maybe the best part of the episode. Buried uh, two and a half hours in. Yeah, as, uh, as if this episode wasn't <laughs> long enough. Anyway, um, that's the thing about Mass Effect 2, though. It also had the most fun gameplay. Yeah. Like, I think the, the like, the, I would say I was annoyed by the levels with the collector's platforms. Um, because I think it was just annoying to have to go, like, up to them and then, like, vault up on every single one um was kind of annoying like just like if you're not gonna let me just have a jump button just make it fucking smooth or just do it like top of my pillow or just do it like uh oh i guess you wouldn't know this point of reference but do it like uh insomniac spider-man where you can just sprint and you'll automatically start parkouring over right yeah so and like that was certainly a a big change in three um was the actual element of like hey you have to jump over this little chasm um, which I was like, I was fine with it. I don't think it added or subtracted really. Um, but like, yeah, like Kasumi's level was so much fun to be like doing a little espionage, mm-hmm. um, like limited weaponry, uh, like having to talk to people and use the social aspect of the RPG to make things work. Um, and then also like the thing that we were going to get was like the last remnant of her love of her life. And I was like, and I had her loyalty from that point on. And then like there was like, it's very clear that like her and Samara are the kind and Thane are the kind where it's like, once you run out of dialogue options, you kind of ran out of dialogue options. And maybe that's because Kasumi is a, is a DLC. Um, yeah. Like it was very clear that I was like, I'm not getting anything else out of you. Once you, I had your loyalty, that was like the extent of it. And you were just a playable character. But all that said, I think she was great. Um, I think she was really cool, like the concept of a thief um, in this world, like a master thief in this world. And then having the mission reflect that was like, great. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. And I agree. Um, I do think that like the actual loyalty missions themselves are wild in terms of like the ones you 
would expect would be good, sometimes are not that good, and then sometimes randomly, just random ones are, like, really good for, like... Yeah, like, yeah. Jacob sucked. I think Miranda's was fine. It was basic. Um, Tolly's obviously is a whole chapter in the book. Garrus's is a surprise. Kasumi's is fun. Thane's is fun and unique. Um, I think Morden's is great story. I think Grunt's is kind of run of the mill, but it is kind of just a, hey, fight all these guys in a pit. It's horde mode. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, and I was like, "Ah, I don't really care for horde mode. Um, And like, yeah, they were all like largely impactful um, for the vast majority of them. Uh, I have here in my notes a very old uh, ranking of all the loyalty missions and from worst to best, I rank them uh, Zaid as at the bottom and in parentheses, because initially I was, I think I was posting this on like a Facebook forum. So in parentheses, I wrote, hi, you thought it was going to be Jacob. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) is Jake. 11 is Jacob. Um, 10 is Garrus. Honestly, from a gameplay perspective, Garrus disappointed me. I get that. Nine was Jack. Eight was Grunt because at least, you know, there's Tachanka and like the culture and stuff like that. Sure. Seven is Thane only because I don't think it was like interesting enough to keep up. Like I thought maybe if you could have multiple ways of like multiple pathways of trying to keep up and you kind of have to. No, it is. It's pass fail. Yeah. Yeah. Six is Samara. It is interesting. Um, but again, the stuff with Morinth is kind of weird in terms of like, oh yeah, I'll just ditch Samara for Morinth, right? Like, that's just like, why is that even an option? Um, five is Miranda. I love the character, but like, yeah, like you said, the mission itself was pretty basic. Four was Morden. Three was, three was Kasumi, but damn, like, that's a strong third. Like, yeah, the music is phenomenal. The comedy is great. The elements are great. I love that, like, it wasn't just shooting over and over and over again. My thing with a lot of the gameplay of this entire trilogy is that, like, yeah, it's a lot of shooting. Yeah. And then once you're done shooting, the next piece of gameplay is shooting. And it's like they kind of just keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then two was Tali, one was Legion. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and to your point about the shooting, like I was getting really frustrated because I had texted you like, I'm finishing this game today. Yeah. And I was going in to the Cerberus base mission. And quite literally, from that point on, I think I spent another two hours because it was just like, we got to make the end game really long and full of enemies. And I was like, I actually didn't need that. I would have preferred the story move appropriately to the gameplay, quite frankly, because I had already spent so much time in the whole universe to get here that I was ready for it to move. You know, I can tell you right now, this is not the only franchise I've had this complaint with. Sure. This Bioware, for some reason, tends to think that, oh, if we just throw a bunch of enemies at you, that's the same thing as making this part interesting. Yeah. And it's like, no, (laughs) <laughs> not really <laughs> no no the second you touch down on earth it's just kind of like hey let's nostalgia through a lot of characters and shoot a lot of reaper uh constructs 
until finally you launch a missile at one of them and, during a horde battle and then it's all cutscene based? No, thank you. Yeah, no. So I think that's probably as good a segue as we're going to get to. Yeah. Like, the fuckery. I think the center of three is entertaining. Like wrapping up the Turian, Salarian, um, Crokin conflict and curing them, which is what the choice I made. I'm really curious how anybody does that game if you didn't save the data. Um, Cause like, how do you get out of that one? Or do you, are the Krogan just never an option? I think um, apparently like Morden is like scrambling and he barely gets it done by the skin of his teeth. But Oh, that's annoying. But, so it's not really a choice. No, but I think it, it affects Eve. I think there's a chance Eve can die. Got it. Okay, 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 okay. Um, but yeah, I like wrapping that up. I like, I liked wrapping up the Geth Corian conflict. I found it really disturbing when I made the choice that I made and had enough points to get away with everyone, uh, you know, with Legion just sacrificing himself and no, none of the fleets dying. Um, but like, damn, when I checked up on what that choice could have been and the fact that like literally Tali shoots herself, if you don't save the Corians, I'm like, no, damn, that's fucking bleak. No, she uh what? Fa- she falls off a cliff. Who shoots themselves? Saren. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but Tali basically does like a trust fall off the cliff you're on. Yeah, doesn't she like take her mask off on the way? I think so, yeah, because yeah. you know, it's like the last feeling she's gonna have and stuff. Yeah. So like it's one of those things where it's like, yes, Jesus, it's freaking bleak. It's really fucking bleak. Um so I was like, glad I glad I saved them both. But also like I'm really curious who makes the choice to if they don't have that option to not save the Quarians. Um like I'd be really curious who makes that choice. I mean to be fair, they've Bioware's done a good job at this point of like well, you don't want the Quarians to die because of Tali and because you've actually had more interactions with other Quarians. But the Quarians... So the Geth are fucking useful. The Quarians kind of are the ones that fucked up, though. <laughs> yeah, agreed. So... Yeah, they created their own problem. <laughs> Not unlike humans. Right. Not unlike human stories of AI. So that makes sense. But... Yeah, no, like, I think the center of the game is really great, but the beginning when you're on Earth and you're really seeped in the Alliance stuff and this and the council is not helping you and you don't have most of your team, um, like, the mission at Mars even, like, felt gunky and I'm like, oh, Ashley's back and this feels clunky to get her back in after she wasn't available in the previous game and, um, and like, Liara and that whole relationship and then um, getting the robot for Edie. Um, audience, Edie is the onboard computer from the second game that Cerberus makes and then gets a body. And then, um, can you romance Edie or is it truly just either you encourage her and Joker to be a couple or not? Is that the case? She is only trying to robo-fuck Joker. Got it. Because she, as a AI, uh, basically, um, fell in love with him because he's the pilot of her. Um, so there you go. And then he has to be like, should I fuck a robot? And you have to be like, can mm-hmm. I get to the yams? Why not? Robot yams. So yeah, so getting used to the new gameplay and like the new com, like the new like extra levels of physical 
melee. I'm like, all right, whatever. And then the fucking dream sequence. Yep. The dream sequence is I was literally like, oh, like Earth looks like shit. I don't care about anyone but Anderson and Shepard living in this case. And I guess a little bit Ashley, but I knew she was going to make it. Um, I'm like, and, and it, and it also just, it felt so, how do I say this? So bleak for so much of the game, like all the way through Palavin. Is that how you say it? Pavilion? Palavin? Yeah, Palavin. I was just like, yeah, you feel so like there's no ramping up of the Reaper threat. It's like zero to 60 and you are you make a wrong move, you feel like you're going to die. And I'm like, I actually don't like that. I feel like it just made it feel deeply hopeless and like, we're just going to conveniently find the answer later. And it didn't. Like, when we got to uh, Rannoch and he finally takes it, and then you finally take a second. A, secondly, annoyed that there was no heavy weaponry in, and the whole weight distribution thing mechanic in three, stupid, hated it. Um... (laughs) Like in the last game, I could carry every weapon option and then swap them out accordingly. Also hated in one, the armors and upgrade system in one. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, Hard to determine what the fuck difference between one upgrade and another is besides the numbering and how much increase or decrease because there's just so much freaking text and it's in the wrong place and the weapons don't feel like good upgrades of one another. So you're just trying to piece things together and it's like you're constantly accumulating all this inventory of replications of the same thing, which sucks. Like there's no replications of anything in the other games. And I was like, great. Awesome. I either got the upgrade and I can use it or I can not use it. And I never have to worry about getting a second one ever again. Um, or maybe there are duplicates, but like it doesn't feel like I'm losing inventory to these things that sucked in the first one. I hated it. Um, I hated the whole armor system. I hated it. And the fact that they like didn't have that at all. I literally spent most of the time with that DLC. I, I don't know if it's a DLC armor, uh, but like the human knight looking armor. I spent most of the game with it, mostly because I got tired of seeing his face because I didn't customize the face. I got really tired of looking at Shepard's face and it looked, it felt better to me to make him look like the Mandalorian. So I did that. Um, I never grew accustomed to his face. <laughs> but yeah, so, oh, he is blissed out. He's going to hate it when I go over there and take his spot. But uh, yeah, so like it's, So like I did all these things. And so in the second game, when I didn't have to worry about all I had to worry about was ammo and the kind of heavy weapon and like the one to two upgrades that I got on my various other weapons. Um, When I didn't have to worry about inventory or anything like that, I was like, this is great. I actually greatly prefer this because it just feels like progress. Um, I don't need a million customizability. And so when they backtracked on some of that early on in the third one, I was like, oh, this sucks. This sucks and I have to make these weird choices that don't feel like they matter because they didn't matter in a previous game and it doesn't be- like benefit the gameplay for me to lose access to a sniper rifle. Like it just feels like a consequence to have a consequence, you know? Uh, so I was just like, I don't want to do any of that. Um, and then we get to that dream sequence where it's automated slowdown. Game designers. Be very careful with automatic slow motion. I hate it. I hate it. I don't know anyone who likes it. It sucks. It 
makes you feel like you're there for fucking ever. It makes you feel like you have no agency and you cannot accomplish anything. The first dream sequence, it took me forever to follow the fucking kid because I didn't know where the fuck he was going. And every time we returned to there, I was like, get me out of this. Get me out of this. Get me. I just want it over with. I want it over with. So the fact that there wasn't a lot of that in the middle, I was like, thank you. Thank you so much. You sound like such a Mass Effect fan. Um, <laughs> I mean, it sucks. And then at the very end as well, when you have the automatic slowdown and you have to shoot people with the automatic slowdown, I'm like, no, just do a cutscene. I don't care about physically being able to play this part. Yep. So you've inadvertently said many things that I myself have said completely independently. Um which is that a uh well okay first off I think we I think I should do this in order cuz now we're at 3 we're basically at the end of this I have major criticisms for like a lot of this shit first off Mass Effect 2 is the okay well let me let me okay did you have a favorite two okay exactly uh most people <laughs> most people like Duh. two the best it it's infamously the best I do also agree that 2 is the best. However, I think 2 makes by far the worst. 2 is the best. 2 is the best. Better, better than, than all the rest. All the rest. Uh, but it makes the single worst decision of all three. And that is that... Qua. Um, excuse me. I thought this whole series was about choice and choosing... And consequences of my decisions, and now you're just forcing me to work for a terrorist organization. Fair. Like, this is where... Fair criticism. This is where this becomes an annoying thing in two, and the actual death of three, that, like, I know if Bioware was given enough time, we should have gotten... Maybe the beginning of the game is the same no matter what, but then, like the elusive man allegedly says... Yeah. You can do this one mission, and then if you want to leave, you can leave. And that should be a fork in the road of, like, you can either stick with Cerberus, knowing about... And then if you, like, lose Miranda and Jacob and stuff. Right. Like, only some people... If you haven't, like, completed their loyalty missions. Some people can only be gained with, like, the Cerberus track. Some people can only be gained with the Alliance track. And there's reasons to like stay with Cerberus because you can run into the council again and they are still on their fucking bullshit and you go, you know what? I've tried this route. Let me try the terrorist route, I guess. Or you can go back to the Alliance because why would I ever work with terrorists? And then there's a natural reason to want to try both instead of the binary Paragon Renegade thing, like fucking lock off Garrus to the Cerberus track. Ooh, that'd be a tough choice. And then... Tali is only available with the Alliance track. I mean, you're going to piss a lot of people no, off, but I get I it. I don't think so. Because again, the whole thing of Paragon Renegade should not be right answer, wrong answer. Yes, no. It should just be two different approaches to the same thing. Like, it should yeah, just that's fair. encourage replay. And I think I said that earlier. Yeah. Like, these are games that I play over and over again a lot. I haven't done it recently, but, like, there was a long time where I would just, like, keep replaying the games, mostly the first two, and that would have been a nice thing to add of, like, 
to further differentiate shepherds of like in Mass Effect 2, did your shepherd follow the Cerberus path or the Alliance path? And like could have done could have done different things. It could have been really interesting. And then just carry it through to three. And then in the Alliance, if you go down the Alliance path, instead of encountering the Vermeer survivor on Horizon, you encounter Miranda. And it's like, you know, it that could be a really interesting conversation of like, you know, I am the one that like am f- pretty much single-handedly responsible that you're even standing right now, that you're breathing air right now. And we did that because we believe in you. We're not going to force you to come back to us, but at the same time, you're we're fighting for the same thing and we don't want to fight each other. And like yada yada, like it could have been a really interesting scene. All that to say, that's my main issue with two. The issues with three are basically, like I said before, this was an annoyance in two that Bioware just did not have the time to do this thing that would would have been objectively more interesting. Therefore, they kind of strong arming, they kind of strong arm you into siding with Cerberus, even though that's stupid. But in three, it actually destroys all of Mass Effect three. So many aspects of Mass Effect three suffer because, and I don't know if you know this or not, but EA fucking sucks. Like most publishers suck in the video game industry. Yeah, yeah. And it was apparently their call for for context. Mass Effect one came out in two thousand seven. Mass Effect 2 came out in 2010. They dead ass scheduled Mass Effect 3, the biggest game in this franchise, the one that had to account for the most decisions, that had to tie up all the loose ends, and that had to obviously have the most content. They scheduled it for holiday 2011. Yeah, that's fucking That's fucking idiotic. And it luckily got pushed back to 2012, spring of 2012. But it's like they had half the time to make the biggest game in this franchise. And it's clear because, you know, you only got six companions. Exactly. So like all of the things that you could say about Mass Effect 3 immediately. Like I knew I knew they had to be and knew it had to be something like that. Yeah. And it's it's just like for what? For what? For what purpose? Because it's just it just makes the whole franchise suffer. And that I think genuinely is why we get the shitty ending. Of like, yeah, all this stuff it basically boils down to it's three decisions, three colors. That's the ending. Yeah. And the only difference is the like, how well did you prepare for that decision to to a degree of magnitude? And, like, even then, I never thought the Reapers were a very good villain. Well. Like, it's just, I think I texted you and I said, oh, yeah, it's just like Ultron. Got it. Well, it's a thing of, like, in Mass Effect 2, I don't know if you caught this, but when you're recruiting Tali, she's investigating dark matter and, like, why sons are, like, going out and, like, not acting the way they should be and stuff like that. Apparently, there was supposed to be more stuff with that. That, like, 
Got the it. The sun was like gonna start doing some shit, and like there's dark matter shit, and apparently that was going to at one point tie into why the Reapers are here, because apparently or Got organic it. life does something with like that we kind of cause the collapse of like the galaxy if not cold every now and again. Got it. Which sure. is certainly a Didn't choice. Happen. Like it's a choice. Um because it's more sophisticated than yeah. <laughs> like it's more sophisticated than oh biotics will always create uh, synthetics and thus they will never be at peace and thus we are peace and I'm like uh, fuck you you're not peace. <laughs> yeah also like we tend to at this point in the story we have a lot of ai friends at this point <laughs> right exactly so like why trust this one it's like we we can actually live in peace we can like you not you don't got to do all this extinction shit and, and and again if you're going to do this third option that's supposed to be like the compromise why'd you make it look so creepy it is creepy. There's genuinely... Why you make everybody look like they're brainwashed? I'm not satisfied with any of the three endings. Yeah, me either. The closest I get is maybe control, but that was the elusive man's whole shtick. Yeah. So it's like... The only difference is that it's Shepard doing it. Right. And like, if you choose... But it's not even him. The whole thing is that it's like, well, it won't be you anymore. And if you choose destroy, you kill Edie, and then all the geth that you just spent all this time and energy right. helping. So it's like, I... Yeah, it felt like because I like had the option of synthesize, I was like, I don't really have another option here. <laughs> all this because apparently it would be too predictable or it would be too hokey or sentimental or whatever excuse they have of just not giving us a satisfying end. Of just like... Look, sometimes most of the people can live happily ever after, and it can be satisfying. Lord of the Rings did it. Avatar did it. Like, yeah. it is possible to just end the fucking thing happily, and that's okay. Plus, you shoot yourself in the fucking foot, because now, I don't know what the fuck's going on with Mass Effect 4. Yeah, you didn't have a kid. No, but more than that, like, how do you even start the game? Yeah. Old man Garrus and Tali? No, specifically, like, no matter which of the three options you pick, you have to, like, pick one. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. Like, so how do you even Well, and do al that? More, alternatively, you have to write a new, a fifth one. Right. And it's just, it's just so fucking, like, so many things were made more difficult than they had to be. And it also explains why you couldn't, like, fight with Jack, you couldn't fight with Miranda, you couldn't, like, you know, uh, th there was no point where you could fight with Rex or Grunt. And I find Grunt especially obnoxious of like really why can't grunt join me at this point right this is the only game of the trilogy of the franchise with no krogan squad mate and they go well you got vega and i'm like vega is not a fucking krogan and to even imply that he would be on the same level with a krogan no <laughs> 
because I, yes, I fully agree with you, and many people have said it. I'm sorry that you got really into Jersey Shore before you made the cast for Mass Effect 3. <laughs> but, like, I absolutely genuinely would have brought Trainer before Vega. Agreed. Trainer is, like, one of the actual <laughs> best characters. Chakwas. No, Trainer. No, I know. I'm saying bring Chakwas oh, on oh, the mission. Yeah. <laughs> Chakwas is just out there basically being like Mercy from Overwatch. <laughs> just healing people. <laughs> uh, but like, genuinely, I've heard many people say like, it's a damn shame that Samantha Trainer it doesn't uh, arrive until Mass Effect 3. Genuinely. Yeah, I get that. Such an under- underrated I mean, character. I know you can, you can romance Kelly, but like. Uh, quote unquote romance That's also Kelly. weird. Yeah, that's also weird. Like, that's your assistant. Um, However, you can romance Trainer, and yeah, I, yeah, I've it's seen a that proper romance, and it's actually one of my favorites. Yeah, it's real fucking good. It, I mean, it helps that it's Alex Wilton Reagan, who's like a phenomenal fucking voice actress. Mm-hmm. Really good. She plays the protagonist, the female protagonist in um, Dragon Age Inquisition. So I was very accustomed. To this voice. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, are we missing anything? I don't think so. Um, you said you picked the synthesis endings. We covered that. Yeah. You said your favorite was two, so we covered that. Um, did you have fun? <laughs> Yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> yes, I, I would hope that the speed at which I finished would indicate that to you compared to the speed at which I delayed it. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, the length of the delay of actually getting started compared to when I actually got into two and fucking finished it was, like, a very small... Di- like, half the reason I didn't finish it that rapidly was because I had, like, a trip in the middle. Which I... I fucking called from a mile away. I'm like, he's going to really struggle with Mass Effect 1, and then the second he gets into 2 and gets used to it, he's going to fucking bullet train through these yeah. last two. Because yeah. it's just, Cause like, like, yeah, just easier. The, <laughs> the character stories are good, which to me is like, that's, to me, that's the benefit of a really good RPG, is that you're you're carried away on multiple stories that are all kind of wrapped around a central pillar of things. And while the central pillar is not that much to, you know, shake a stick at, um, I don't think it's like the most impressive construction of a game, like by far. I don't even know what the other options are, but like I can tell that like this is not I'm not blown away by the concept of the Reaper plot. Um, but I am really, really in endeared to all these other characters that I met along the way, which made it worth it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really fitting that basically the last real bit of content made for mass effect from Bioware, aside from like Andromeda, obviously uh, was the Citadel DLC, which is the stuff that includes really fun tongue in cheek meta shit, uh, really goofy quote unquote plot and a party with just like celebrating these companions and you get to like have Yeah, I'm people... really sad I didn't have that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, even I haven't genuinely played the Citadel DLC, though I own it. Um I have 
however, like this was the l- secret last part of my history was that I beat Mass Effect 2, beat Mass Effect 1, and I think somewhere in that space, I just blatantly spoiled all of Mass Effect 3, DL- like Citadel DLC included, because I was just hooked by that point, but I was still like kind of... The gameplay is, like, rough for me to get into. (laughs) So I fully just, like, started watching all the romance shit. What? You mean you you didn't, you don't like your Cerberus enemies to roll away from your fire as their default escape? (laughs) Oh, you mean you don't love hearing this every five seconds of a fight? (laughs) Which was... Basically just Mars. That's the whole Mars mission. Yep. <laughs> just like, God damn it. And whose idea was it to give one of these fuckers a riot shield? How dare you? Yeah, I was just like, great, I got to shoot his fucking feet. <laughs> like, just take all of my singularities. All of I them. Wanna, yeah, I was going to say, that's exactly what I would just have them do that. Uh, so I take it, I guess I would have to assume that your favorite character is Garrus slash Tali. Yes. They were my team through all but like one and a half missions of uh, Mass Effect 1. Yeah. Um, most, like, least interesting, like, most hated character, Jacob, maybe? Hated character? I mean, character is a wide thing a wide berth. If we're talking companions. Oh, sure. Yeah, like squad uh, mates. James. <laughs> Over Jacob? Yes. And for those of you that, like, I know Trevor has somewhat said this. Let me say this as a Mass Effect fan for years and a black man, right? So, the reason I hate Jacob, it's not about Jacob. It's the writing of Jacob. It's the writers that did this to Jacob. And they kind of low-key do this again in Dragon Age Inquisition it's not as bad because she's still a boss ass bitch, but like the fact that you made Vivienne the black woman probably the easiest, most hated character in Dragon Age Inquisition. The fuck, Bioware. But like, as a black person, Jacob is the one black squad mate you get in all three of these fucking games, despite. The fact that Ashley is voiced by a black woman. So what Yeah, the I fuck? noticed that. And although, I mean, to be fair, Ashley doesn't 100% read as, like, white to me. Like, she but, looks a little Latino. Yeah. Um, Jacob is our, therefore, our entire representative for black people in terms of squad mates. And you have him have a deadbeat dad... And then if you romance him in Mass Effect 2, by the time you get to Mass Effect 3, you've been, like, you know, on lockdown in the Alliance and stuff. And while you've been separated, he cheats on you, gets a woman pregnant, out of wedlock. I didn't. When did that happen? In 3, if you romance him. Oh, it only happens if you romance him. If Yeah, only then. That's and fucking stupid. That's the only romance option that does cheat on you. Wow. His loyalty mission, like Trevor has mentioned, sucks. He has no growth, no development. His entire personality is 
man. Soldier. Yeah, his personality is oorah. It's like if you combined Josh Demel and Tyrese from Transformers. That's him. Yep. That's Jacob. Yep, 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 yep. That's and him. that's uh-huh. horrible. <laughs> it's awful. And so if you're wondering why everyone shits on Jacob, if you're wondering why we shit on Jacob, that's why. Because for my one, and you know what? I'll claim trainer. I'll claim trainer. I don't know exactly what ethnicity she's meant to be. I'll claim trainer. Fine. Fuck it. (laughs) She's mine. She's an honorary squad mate. Because I can't have my whole representation be, and honestly, this goes for my Puerto Rican side too. My... The only black representation is Jacob, and the only Latino representation that is explicit is Vega. God damn it. (laughs) But TJ, don't you know that the white boys play the games, and we have to do it the white boys? No. Why does not the default Bioware, who made it so that in Dragon Age Origins, if you pick a human noble and make them any race other than white, your family is still white. <laughs> so there's this awkward thing of like, hmm, I wonder if I was adopted. If the, if the kid from the dream sequence and the, and the end there is, if you, if the, if I made my character, my shepherd, not white, does that kid get ch- change his features too? No. What? Cool. No. All right. <laughs> I don't know. I thought there was some sort of out al- like self projection allegory or something. Oh, okay. On. I was like, are you trying to, insinuate that that might be your son (laughs) i thought that's where it was going for a long time no also like some sort of hallucination about a future son also that's the easiest thing in the world to fix these fucking dream sequences why are we following some random ass fucking kid when the vermeyer survivor is right the fuck there yeah or sorry the the person we left on vermeyer is right there like you just have caden show up mysterious kid Uh, and mysterious kid I had a genuine thought of like what could have been amazing because they also do the dream sequence thing. And I think that's stupid when instead Trevor, as somebody who has just played Mass Effect for the first time, I want your opinion on this because I've had this thought of like, wouldn't it be so much more interesting if randomly at some random point after you do the genophage and you cure it and Morden dies and everything you go down to the med lab and you just see Morden working mm. and you're immediately like, whoa. Yeah. But there's like no, di- like there's no camera angle change. Nothing changes. It's just regular gameplay. And if you go to talk to Morden, it's like a regular conversation and you, and you like Morden's talking regularly, normally. And you have your dialogue options are variations on like, what are you? I You're dead. He's like, huh, I don't feel dead. Maybe you should get your eyes checked or something like that. Or just. Yeah. And it's just a thing of like, as you get to have this really sincere conversation, you just wake up in your bed and that's just it. That's the dream. That's a dream sequence. Yeah, that's much better. And you do. A similar thing where you think you're about to start a mission. You think you're about to start a side quest, but the entire side quest is a sham. It just takes you back to Vermeer, and you get off the ship and you immediately see the person you left behind. 
and they you can have a conversation and at one point they just say something like you know you failed you you how are you going to save the world if you couldn't even save me did you even care about me did you even get to know me was i just another name another body to you yada 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 and then again you wake up and you're just like that whole side quest didn't never existed you can't pull it up on the galaxy map it's a race from your journal it's complete like creepypasta shit. Yeah, I, I think that'd be much better. Yeah, I, I just Mass Effect. There's a reason I had you start with Mass Effect, Trev. <laughs> there's a reason I had you do Mass Effect. I maintain. First. I maintain we gotta check the tape as to whether or not I'm even doing Dragon Age. So there's that. Because um, I do think that like once you play Dragon, once you play Mass Effect. And then you play Dragon Age. I think for you specifically, there will be a lot of moments of like, ah, so this one, yeah. Mm. Because they're just different ways of telling stories. Like Mass Effect, you play the same guy through all three games. You get the same squad mates, more or less, that are in and out of the story through all three games. Dragon Age is genuinely like Origins is its own thing. Two is its own thing. Inquisition is its own thing where you play three completely different people and it's just a one continuous timeline. That's it. So some characters might come up, but largely your experience with Origins is completely different than your experience in two, completely different from your experience in three. And I think because of that, they just get to tell better, more complete stories and they don't have to necessarily worry about like building up to a thing like the Reapers the entire time. Like there are some things like the Mage Templar conflict that's like consistent throughout all three games, but there's not really so much this feeling like, oh, there's this one central bad guy that we're all fighting that's being built up over a three-part trilogy and we get to defeat them in the end. No, there's not really that. It's just a lot of, like, cultural shit, a lot of social politics, a lot of just politics in general. And it's just, like, it gets to kind of live a little bit more as, like, a universe. In my my personal opinion. Don't come for me, Bioware fans. Because I started with Mass Effect. Well, I think we need to wrap for this audience here, bud. <laughs> I was fully expecting you to do the thing where it's the long signs. You go, okay. <laughs> yeah, I might have. But no, I think I needed to actually have a functional. Uh... No, that was the that was the renegade response. This is my paragon <laughs> response, which is uh, <laughs> that we need to uh, wrap for this audience here. Yeah. Uh, I was fine with this being somewhat of an extra long episode because it's like, it's three games. There's no way to do this quickly. Um, Yeah, of course not. But I am very glad. I am very, very glad and satisfied that I now have another friend other than my good friend Jay uh, to bother with Bioware memes. Uh, You just (laughs) unleashed a set of TikToks. And I literally went, I think... uh, I think you got a little uh got a little fixated there. Had he, were you saving those or did you no. just encounter them? 
Oh, that's weird. Because, like, I follow, I follow, like, those two primarily that I sent you from, they're accounts that I follow. Okay. So, like, they mainly do Bioware content. They do the occasional other thing, but, like, they pretty much make Bioware memes. Because it's just, there's just such a treasure trove. (laughs) Even more so with Dragon Age. Well, I am now in the club, and I... And I am am valiant and paragonic and and I and I set the geth free and I fucked the robot. Okay. Welcome to our club. I was, I was trying Welcome to, do, to our club. I, <laughs> Welcome, Trevor. Welcome, Trevor. Welcome, Trevor. Welcome, Trevor. <laughs> Thank you for answering my SpongeBob uh, <laughs> meme with a SpongeBob meme. I appreciate that. <laughs> I put my dick in the robot. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really pissed that we never get to see her face. What? Like she's not what? Will she's not Wilson. Oh, oh, Tolly. Yes. I thought you meant my face. I was like, what? <laughs> um, yes, you are a Quarian. <laughs> you <laughs> are kind of me. a Quarian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh there is even a controversy with that thing. Everything was rushed in three. Cause if you do romance Tolly all the way through in three. There's apparently a time where you get to... There's, like, a photo of her unmasked on your desk. Yeah, I've seen that. But it's just a stock photo. Yeah. God damn it, EA. You literally cannot help yourself but fuck shit up. Mm-hmm. What are you even good for? Okay. All right. I think we got to go. <laughs> EA's bullshit. Activision B- Blizzard is bullshit. Ubisoft is bullshit. They're all corrupt. They all have skeletons in their closets spilling out. Don't support them. Don't be a puppet of the man. Don't be a sheep on a leash. I Oh, I thought you were going to cut me off at some point. <laughs> I was going to do the whole, like, it's like everybody's going off set at Squidward's shoot, and then the clown is there, and the clown is Nintendo, and you go, no, you stay. <laughs> Even Nintendo's got some, got some fucked up shit. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, of course, it, of, I mean, of course it does. Of course it does. Anybody you, who's you anybody who anybody who holds the anybody who holds the whip of a game company is is at fault. Um, Except you, Devolver Digital, you stay. <laughs> 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 All right. So, for the mercy of Trevor, who because of our time difference, I'm sure is very tired and wants to snuggle yes. with his dog. Uh, yeah. I, have I think my been... dog wants me to shut the fuck up too. <laughs> <laughs> I have been TJ Patrick. I'm Trevor Catalano. And this is the first week of the month of September that I have complete control over. Hooray. Join us for next week as uh, I make Trevor watch a bunch, a bunch of movies. Cool. But until then, we should go.